Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rex podcast, episode 37. You're a teen one, Mr. Ginch. Welcome back, everyone, to the Parliament of Rex podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lenise. And this is his wife, Melanie Lenise. And uh, for all our regular listeners out there, you know, we want to thank you all for, you know, having followed us for the past 37 episodes. And, you know, and we want to welcome you to the very last episode of the Parliament of Rooks. For 2016, that is. <laughs> You're such a jerk. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. is, uh, you know, we're heading into the uh, holiday season here. You know, we, we thought it appropriate maybe to just take a, a week off or so, you know, deal with the uh, the holiday type stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and accordingly, you know, sort of bring, you know, our, our show, I guess, to a, a natural pause or whatever. You know, yeah. we uh, kick this off, you know, in uh, what, the beginning of October for the second go round. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how many episodes? So this is 37. We started with... 29, so actually nine episodes, that's not bad for, you know, the, uh, you know, sort of preliminary uh, material, I guess, for, for volume two, you know, we sort of like did, uh, you know, a little bit of, I guess, of narrative prep work, right, you know, uh, sort of saw the um, the downward slope of, you know, the, the Silver Age, you know, with, mm-hmm. you know, the um, beginning of the end for, you know, Gardner, Gardner Fox, Fox. And, and the uh, and the beginning of the beginning for, you know, Neil Adams and, yeah. and so on and so forth, so, uh, yeah, it's just, like I say, you know, end of December, beginning of January feels like kind of a nice break point. And, uh, and interestingly, yeah. you know, it sort of corresponds, I guess, in our chronology to the end of the year that we are covering, right? So we started with the, uh, the initial Dead Man stuff there in episode 29, and that would have been October of 67. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of been back and forth a little bit, you know, jumping around with the, the Team Beat stuff and the Scooter and Spectre and all that. But now the, the issue that we're going to cover tonight is actually the last issue that we are covering on our show from 1967. Oh, nice. And, uh, well, so I say that, you know, but uh, it's actually it's sort of like cover dated 68. It's like January of 68. Um, but it would have actually been on the stands, I think, you know, um, November, like mid-November, I guess, of 67. Oh, okay. Yeah, so technically, like I say, it's our, our last 67. So, like I said, kind of nice corresponding end of the year there, corresponding end of the year, you know, with us. Um, and as, you know, we're heading to the end of our year, um, I thought it may be a good time to, to pause and, you know, reflect back, you know, this time last year, we actually would have been prepping, right, mm-hmm. for our very first episode to yes. release on January 1st. Um, so a year later, you know, what, uh, <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts? You know, how do you feel having done a, a podcast now for a solid year? Wow. Um, it kind of feels like we've been doing it like for forever. Like it feels like a normal part of our lives now. Yeah. But I remember it was really uh, quite the transition trying to get into it and um it used to take a lot more prep work to to do the episodes and and for, now like for, they're for you or for both of us for both of us yeah yeah um and also I, I i think maybe part of that is because like at least on my end because now i'm a little bit more familiar with not just the characters but also with like what's going on behind the scenes Behind the scenes of, like, the, the creation of the characters and stuff you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, how they came to be, how they transitioned from, like, one company to another company by virtue of, like, who worked where at what time. Yeah. It is. Like, like I say, yeah, that's that type of information that kind of does give you a, a higher level view and, and I think, a, you know, a greater understanding of the material. 
so yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, beginning to evolve a little bit into, you know, a comic fan. On, uh, on my front, you know, I think um, you talk about the, the prep work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, definitely, you know, I've made huge strides with regard to actually putting this thing together. Like just a little bit of behind the scenes, I guess, you know, for us. It used to take us probably a week plus to edit this. <laughs> you know? Like, I know that sounds ridiculous. And for like people who just like go ahead and like, you know, record their podcast and just, you know, put it out there, you know, uh, you know, as is or whatever. Kudos to you. I like, I, 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 that drives me crazy. I'm, I'm like, you know, I listen to my voice and, and it's so like, there's so many uhs and, you know, mouth clicks or whatever, you know, that I, I used to spend a lot of time just like snipping all that stuff out. Um, but as you say, a year later, A, I've gotten more proficient, you know, with the tool. Right. And B, I don't care as much. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's you like, know? well, guess what? There was a mouth click. Yeah, I know. I think, you know, and I think our podcast benefits from it. Honestly, when yeah. I listen to some of those old episodes, they sound very like, you know, stiff, very sort of, you know, like rehearsed a little bit. And I think, you know, as we've gone on, you mm-hmm. know, it's become more naturalistic and I think more enjoyable, you know, both in, in the making of it and I think the listening to, to of it too. Yeah. Um, so, uh. So with that in mind, you know, like I say, because we are in a, a you know, a time of yearly transition, you know, around, uh, you know, Christmas and into New Year's, uh, I thought it appropriate that, uh, you know, our topic for tonight's show should be one of transition. You know, uh, last week we took a look at, you know, Scooter and Teen Beat and basically, you know, how DC was handling the whole, you know, sort of like teen type thing, you know, the mm-hmm. passing of the torch from one generation to the next. Um, well, tonight's episode is going to focus on that concept, you know, but basically around superheroes. You know the concept of the uh, the teen sidekick. Oh, cool! You know, yeah. So, uh, so I thought we should kick it off. You know, with a, a basic discussion of you know what is a sidekick. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> before, we, yeah, before we delve into the subgenre of teen sidekicks. You know, I thought it best to like sort of like examine the you know the historical precedent, I guess. You know, for this. Okay. Um, so sidekicks. You know, if you want to call it that. You know, basically the uh, sort of you know um, like second in command. You know, you have your hero, and then you have the sort of like you know other character supporting the hero. That goes back all the way, you know, to the very beginning of literature. Mm-hmm. Like the very, uh, I mean, the beginning. Like the very first recorded written text ever. You know, the uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, you know, from, from uh, Babylonian Is times. Is that the first one? The very first one, exactly. That's from like uh, the 18th century B.C., um, you know, the main hero there, Gilgamesh, sort of like heroic king type character, encounters this... Uh, um, at first, he's like a wild man. He, he meets him out in the forest or whatever. He's sort of like, you know, a, a beast type guy or whatever. Um, but then, like, I guess he defeats him in battle, wins his respect or whatever. And from that point on, this other character, you know, Enkidu, is mm-hmm. uh, basically Gilgamesh's sidekick. You know, they go on adventures and, you know, Gilgamesh leads the way. And Enkidu is just like his aide de camp, you know, sort of man Friday. Uh-huh. Hmm. So even as far back as, would you say, 18 BC? Well, 18, the 18th century BC. So I guess that would be like the 17-somethings BC. Mm-hmm. But even that far back, they were talking about how important it is to have friends. Friends? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, or, or helpers yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, it sort of, like, begs the question, like, you know, what function, you know, was that character, you know, even portraying in this story? And, uh, you know, I think if you look at it at a very high level... You know, and you and I have talked about this before, you know, with regard to movies a lot of times, you know, how there'll be like a character that's sort of like not necessarily the focal point of the narrative, but, you know, just a character that's, you know, ever present throughout the movie. And I think, you know, if I had to, to, you know, become literary critic here, I think the function of a sidekick really is kind of like the entry point for the reader. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with you. Yeah, because like you know, like obviously everybody wants to be the hero. They want to be you know Indiana Jones or they want to be you know Han Solo. But it's more tangible if if you're not the hero. Yeah, right. If you're if you're that guy who looks up to him, you know, if you're like you know, say Han Solo. So if you're Chewbacca, right? You know, yeah. So yeah, he, he kind of like you know, it's it's somebody that. You know, a the reader themselves, you know, or watcher, you know, viewer, whatever, you know, can identify with. But then, two also acts as a proxy for, I guess, humanizing the hero. Like, you know, like some of the famous sidekicks, you know, throughout history. You know, you say like, um, you know, Doctor Watson to Sherlock Holmes or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. or like, you know, or Sancho Panza to you know uh, Don Quixote. Like those guys, you know, like you know that being Don Quixote and Sherlock Holmes are not really like attainable ideas for the normal person like you are not a master detective and you're also not a crazy guy you know going after windmills but what you are is somebody on the outside who looks at them and goes wow they're they're really on the on the outskirts so yeah so i think the sidekick you know allows the reader to better understand the hero i guess that's an interesting take Uh, and i think it's i think it's a good one i I don't think i would have come up with that on my own but uh that's i think that's spot on yeah it's um it's kind of interesting, actually, um, like from an etymological standpoint, you know, where uh, the word itself, sidekick, comes from. Like, if you had to hazard a guess, you know, what do you think, you know, obviously side means like, you know, like not out in front or whatever. But what do you think a kick is? Like, what's a sidekick? Uh, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind, and I, I, I know this is wrong, um, but you know, like the sidecars on motorcycles? On motorcycle? Yeah, that's, that's what jumped into my mind. You think the car is called a kick? I have no idea. Well, maybe a motorcycle has a kickstand. Maybe that's a good thing, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, but actually, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of knew that. I, mean, I was like, well, what, what are the odds that there were motorcycles back, yeah, yeah. you know, in Gilgamesh's day? No, well, no, it's not. The word doesn't come from Gilgamesh's time. It comes actually from, um, I imagine, like, Victorian times or whatever. You know, I'm doing a little bit of research. It's actually part of, like... Um, pickpocket slang which i think might be like akin to like cockney slang you know maybe something rhyming um but long story Mm. short back in the day like trousers that men used to wear you know would have different components they would be like sort of sewn together in different ways to include you know like numerous pockets you know that we don't ordinarily have and so the pickpocket you know back in the day would i guess size up the man and figure out you know which of these pockets would be the best to, you know, to, to go and, like, you know, without him feeling, go and, like, rob something out of him. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know from, like, school, Seven Bells, right? There's a whole, like, you know, theory behind pickpocketing, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So pockets, I guess among pickpockets, were colloquially known as kicks, okay? Hmm. And so different kicks would be, like, you know, targeted for theft, but the one you would never go for is the sidekick. Which was sort of like, you know, off to the side and a little to the front. Because trying to go in, they would definitely feel a hand there or whatever. So the pickpocket would say, well, obviously, you know, a man's most trusted companion is his sidekick. Isn't that interesting? Yes. (laughs) That's like totally funny, right? (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Obviously, there is a a long literary tradition, you know, with regard to the sidekick. Um, But the the area of focus uh, tonight, you know, especially given, you know, the story we're about to read, um, is the whole concept of the teen sidekick. You know, everybody that we've talked about thus far, you know, sort of been like, you know, a one-to-one, you know, adult relationship, you know, like Lone Ranger and Tonto or like, say, you know, Han Solo or Chewbacca or whatever. Right. Um, But the whole concept of the teen sidekick is something, I think, at least initially, very, like, uniquely American. And 
if I had to hazard a guess, I would say the whole concept is sort of born out of the whole, like, you know, Horatio Alger, you know, go west young man thing. The sort of, like, you know, empowered orphan, right? You know, you see all those, like, sort of turn-of-the-century things with, like, you know, young waifs, you know, making good in the world yeah, or whatever. Yeah, striking out on their own. Yeah, so I think the audience, you know, for a lot of that early literature were, in fact, young men. So I think, you know, at some point they're like, you know what, we should cater to this audience. Right. You know, we should provide that entry-level point as a character as a teen itself you know and the uh, and the earliest form that that took you know obviously you know we focus on comic books um but before that you know were pulps but even before that were something called uh dime novels you know like little cheap you know probably pulp paper anyway or whatever but like you know cheap little uh books that you could read or whatever you know with little adventure stories and one of the most popular in the day was a a detective character by the name of uh, nick carter he, um, very much in the tradition of the sort of hard-boiled detective, like Dick Tracy type guy. Okay. You know, two-fisted guy going out there solving crimes or whatever. Um, but, uh, but in very short order, you know, his cast of characters expanded to include, you know, as is the norm of that day, two little orphan boys, <laughs> you know? He, uh, he meets these kids or whatever, and I guess they help him out in some case, um, but before long, you know, they start helping him more, and I think eventually he adopts them, <laughs> you know? So Nick Carter had two little, uh... Um, side sidekicks, you know, right. uh, by the name of Chick Carter, you know, who's now his son, and then another boy named uh, Patsy Murphy. You know, maybe he didn't adopt Patsy. Are <laughs> there like... any examples of that today? Because I mean, like listening with my modern ears, like that seems odd. Are there any examples of what today? Of having like you know, a man adopting an uh, orphan boy. An orphan boy. Well, yeah. I mean. So as we go through the show, I think you are going to, you know, suddenly realize that it's not as odd as you think. There are a lot of these sidekicks as we go through that are exactly that. You know, little orphans that are somehow like adopted by single men. You know, probably the most famous of which, of course, is Batman and Robin, right? Of course. I think I'm just getting hung up because like I, I kind of think that the kids should be in an orphanage. <laughs> be in an orphanage. And not be running around. On, you well, know. But going back to that Horatio Alger thing, I mean, that's sort of like the dream, right? Like nobody wants to read a book about like staying in an orphanage, but you do want to read a book about, you know, a wealthy man like adopting you and taking away from your squalor, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so with that in mind, let me use that as a transition then to begin our conversation about the concept of the teen sidekick, you know, within comic books. So, uh, like I say, you know, probably the most famous one and probably, you know, the, I guess, er example, if you will, you know, of, a, you know, a heroic, you know, super heroic, I should say, teen sidekick, you know, would be, you know, Robin the Boy Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, there actually is an earlier precedent, I think, you know, for a Batman-like character to have a quote-unquote sidekick, you know, um, that probably would have been uh, the Crimson Avenger, a, a hero uh, who preceded Batman, actually, in Detective Comics, but he was more in the style of, like, uh, Green Hornet. Um, because his partner, his sidekick, if you will, you know, was his Asian chauffeur, you know, uh, Wing, who basically is a direct lift from, like, Kato. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but the the true, you know, first superheroic sidekick, you know, would have been Robin, who was introduced in uh, uh, April of 1940 in uh, Detective Comics number 38. Um, now, I know you do know some comic numbers, like, you, you know, like Adventure 247, mm-hmm. I said that a hundred times for yes. the reason. Um, do you remember the comic that Batman debuted in? That's kind of a famous comic. Detective? Detective Comics, but do you know the number? One? No, no. So, <laughs> no, he was actually, he was in Detective Comics number 27. So, if Robin is appearing in Detective Comics number 38, 
you know that was almost like right on the heels of that. You know, that is only like, you know, what, 11 issues later. Right. You know, so within a year, they, they said, all right, we have this Dark Knight detective. We need to, you know, once again. Bring concept. in the young kids to right. read the books, exactly. the comics. Well, not to read the comics or whatever, but to relate to something, you know, within the comics. You know, Batman is, you know, similar to Holmes, similar to, you know, Don Quixote, like we were saying before, kind of an untouchable character. You know, he mm-hmm. is the Dark Knight Avenger. A little boy, all of a sudden, you know, like gives him a humanity that he didn't, you know, ordinarily have. Um, there's a quote here from uh, uh, Robin's co-creator, you know, and, and probably actually primary creator. You know, we've talked before about how Bob Kane would take credit, you know, for everything related to Batman. Well, Bill Finger, you know, the writer back mm-hmm. in that day, actually had a lot more input than he's given credit to. And I think he's the primary, you know, uh, uh, author behind Robin. So a quote from Bill Finger um, says that uh, Robin was an outgrowth of a conversation I had with Bob, being Bob Kane. Uh, As I said, Batman was a combination of Douglas Fairbanks and Sherlock Holmes. Holmes had his Watson. The thing that bothered me was that Batman didn't have anyone to talk to, so it got a little tiresome always having them thinking. I found that as I went along, Batman needed a Watson to talk to, Hmm. and that's how Robin came to be. Bob called me over and said he was going to put a boy in the strip to identify with Batman. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, uh, because that's another aspect that I hadn't considered, is that it's... um... If he if Batman's in a conversation, then there's you, you can really explore the, both characters more. Yeah, as opposed to just being in his head all the time, the, the sort of like dark loner. Right. Exactly. And speaking of dark or whatever, you see Rob. So for the benefit of our listeners, I actually pulled up you know a a copy of the very famous you know uh, cover to Detective Comics number thirty eight. You know the introduction, and, and this is a sort of pat phrase. They're calling Robin the sensational character find of 1940 as, uh, you know, he's jumping all brightly colored yeah. through one of those, like, you know, what are they, like, circus rings or whatever, you know, paper through it or whatever. And, you know, and look at the contrast. You know, Batman is all dark blues and grays. Right. And he's all, like, red and yellow. And his cape is actually, like, flying up above his head. Yeah. I mean, he basically, his look just, like, sings fun. And for a little kid, you know, that probably would have been an allure that they couldn't resist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think the proof, you know, is really in the pudding because, you know, in just a short matter of years, and I'm talking like, you know, like one or two years or whatever, the entire landscape of comics became absolutely flooded with teen sidekicks. You know, we have, uh, we've talked before, you know, when we took a look at the, uh, the Justice League of America, uh, the character Green Arrow. Uh-huh. How he's like almost like a, almost a direct corollary to Batman. He's got all the same stuff. He's got you know the the aeroplane according to the Batplane, and you know the, the arrow cave. And he too has a teen sidekick. And right from the very beginning, the first issue that they introduced uh, Green Arrow in uh, More Fun seventy three from uh, November forty one, Green Arrow was introduced you know along with his little teen sidekick, a boy by the name of Speedy. Who, who uh, he's like Green Arrow, except he's dressed in red. He's basically like a little kid, like a little kid Green Arrow almost, you know. But he too is an orphan boy, right? His father was killed, and then he he eventually winds up helping Green Arrow on a case. Green Arrow is so grateful that he like you know I don't know necessarily that these men like adopt these boys because I always see the word ward. I think they take a sort of like legal guardianship of them or whatever because they're not like you know like. For instance, Speedy's name is Roy Harper, whereas, like, you know, Green Arrow is Oliver Queen. He's not, like, Roy Queen, so obviously he didn't, like, adopt him and take his name. Same thing with, like, Batman and Robin. It's, like, Dick Grayson, Bruce Wayne. Mm. So I think they're just, like... Foster kids? Foster? See, I don't know. I don't know. You know, honestly, and uh, apologies for everybody out there, I don't know what a ward is, <laughs> you know? like I, I, I guess I don't either. Yeah, I guess it's somewhere between foster child and adopt. You know, I think it's, it's a little more... Um, a little more binding, I think, than foster kids, because you know. But but I think you know, it's not quite 
you know, you're not his parent, you're just his legal guardian, I think is what it is. Um, another example of that would be um, Sandman, you know, the guy you always call Suckface. Suckface, exactly. Yes. He too, uh, when he was introduced, um, I think not right from the get-go, because he initially was a sort of loner too, but in very short order, in uh, December of 41, they introduce a, a young boy. Uh, uh, Suckface Jr. No, <laughs> Suckface Jr. No, his name is uh, Sandy. It's uh, the Sandman and Sandy, the golden boy, actually, is what they call him. Okay. Uh, let's see. There was uh, TNT and Dan the Dynamite. There, that's actually not a, um, you know, a, a, a ward, you know, uh, orphan type thing. It's actually, he is a, um, a school teacher, is TNT, and then Dan the Dynamite is one of his students. And through some accident or whatever, they figure out that they can, like, hit rings together and make, like, a nuclear blast. You know? <laughs> so that's safe. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to stay after school tonight, Mom. <laughs> it's like, you know, okay, why are you spending We're so much time with the teacher? Up. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, that's sort of trope, you know, the sort of, like, you know, older, younger partner type thing was actually um, subverted in, uh, in one, you know, partnership in DC Comics. There was a, a team called uh, the Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy. And in that case, stripesy. Yes, stripesy. I know it's like it's That's like awful. stars and stripes. I guess right. You know, stripesy. You know, yeah. but uh, but in that case, the the boy, the Star Spangled Kid, is actually the lead. He's a, a young rich boy named uh, Sylvester Pemberton, and stripesy is actually the family's you know I guess chauffeur slash mechanic or whatever. And uh, and I think they uh, team up or whatever because they um, I forget what it's called, but there was a faction in. Uh, in the U.S., which were, like, Nazi th- sympathizers, you know, they would, like, go out and, like, you know, like, oh, the Nazis are awesome or whatever. And so these two were actually out one night, and they, like, they both got really angry and started, like, fighting and realized, hey, we could team up, you know. So they went out and, like, you know, fought, uh, you know, what are they called? like, fifth columnists? I forget what they're called. You know? I have no <laughs> idea what they're called. Yeah. It's awful. But, uh, um, but anyway, the, the whole concept of the teen sidekick, you know, wasn't limited, you know, merely to DC. Like, everything in comics, you know, once something takes off, as Robin did, yeah. you know, everybody wants a copy of it, you know. I've noticed so, that. Uh, companies like, uh, we talked for MLJ, which is the prototypical Archie comics. Okay. You know, they, back in the day, had their superhero line. Their uh, Two of their big characters were the, uh, the Shield and the Wizard, and, uh, you know, Within a year, you know, one from like, you know, September 1940, the wizard gets a young partner named Roy. And then uh, the shield, you know, in, uh, I guess, January of 41, gets a partner named Dusty. And the interesting thing about a lot of these characters is that um, their superhero names for the boys are always the same as like their real names. Like Roy and Dusty, and I want to say Sandy also, like Sandman and Sandy, this is actually their name. You'd think like as a superhero, that'd be like a liability. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like you should have a code name. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so that was MLJ. Uh, Fawcett Comics, you know, were Captain Marvel, which in and of itself, Captain Marvel, you know, is, I think we've talked about a little boy who turns into a man. So that's not quite the same thing. Um, but his, you know, I guess cast of characters expands out to include, you know, both his sister and then another young boy. So in a sense... This transformative young boy has two teen sidekicks, but it's not really the same hmm. thing, I think. Um, but uh, probably the big one from MLJ, though, and, you know, forgotten to history, is a, a, a team-up called uh, Mr. Scarlet and Pinky. Like Pinky in the Brain? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I didn't think about that, yeah. I was saying, like, Pinky's a strange name for a boy or whatever, but yeah. It is. Yeah. So that was their ripoff. Uh, there was a company called, uh, it's called Nador, but I think back in the day it was called uh, Standard Comics, and they had a guy named uh, the Black Terror, who, if you ever see a picture of him, he's like the Punisher 
you know, but back in like the 1940s is actually kind of a cool look. Huh. Um, but he's got a little boy partner that looks like a little junior Punisher named Tim. So, Tim? Yeah, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Black Terror and Tim. And then probably, the, you, you know, you sort of raise your eyebrow about like, you know, a, a grown man having like, you know, a little orphan child or whatever. Mm. Probably the one that would, you know, not just raise your eyebrow, but like, you know, pull him to the back of your head is uh, Holyoke Comics. Had a, a, a team up called uh, Catman and Kitten. Kitten. And that's a little orphan girl that Catman takes in and like they go out and fight crime. And he calls her Kitten. He calls her Kitten. I think that's her name. Once again, I think that's maybe her name, you know. So just, you know, all across the no landscape. No connotations there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, across all these comic companies, probably the most successful, you know, apart from like, you know, DC and Robin. And, you know, to this day even would have been uh, Captain America's young partner, uh, Bucky. Now, like Bucky is in like Winter Soldier Bucky, Winter Soldier Bucky. But now the thing is the, you know, as often with these movies or whatever, it's not a direct correlation to what happened in the comic books. Like, you know, Bucky in the comics was not Steve Rogers boyhood friend and they didn't like go off to war together. Bucky is actually a young orphan boy during World War Two. Okay. Okay. I I think I'm not a big Marvel fan or whatever, but I think something along the lines of like his father was a soldier who was killed and then he was around or whatever so they're like oh he's the unit's mascot we'll you know we'll take out you know we'll take care of him or whatever and so when steve rogers you know becomes captain america i think young bucky the mascot or whatever catches him changing into his costume figures out his secret identity and cap's like you know hey come with me you know we'll go fight and so not only you know like you know crime fighting he's fighting in war you know it's like yeah. his young orphan boy dressed up like you know a junior like you know Colonial soldiers who got the button-down, like you know, blouse or whatever, out there with cap. And, and I'm sure like, it was very cute, but I mean, like, wow, yeah, that's I mean, so unbelievable. Yeah, dude's like hitting the red skull and stuff. It's just like it's crazy. Wow. You know? uh, let's see. So there was Bucky, and then the other, you know, big teen character, you know, from and I call I'm calling it Marvel, but back in the day, the company name was actually Timely. Um, mm-hmm. Their other, you know, big teen character was a character named Toro. Um, I don't know that you know this, but um, the big, uh, the, the three big characters from Timely slash Marvel back in the in the nineteen forties were Captain America, uh, the Submariner, who's kind of like an, an early Aquaman type guy, yeah, and then the Human Torch, not the one from the Fantastic Four. There's actually a Golden Age Human Torch, oh, okay. and his little teen sidekick is named Toro, who's like a little baby oh, human torch. I thought you were going to call him Torchy or something. Oh, that would be cute, Torchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and once again, I'm pretty sure, you know, don't, don't quote me on this, but I think Toro is actually this boy's name. Like, like he doesn't ever, <laughs> it's very, very crazy. Of course it is. So, um, now the interesting thing, you know, about the, you know, timely slash Marvel side of the house, you know, we've talked about, you know, the, the sort of adult teen partnership or whatever something unique that marvel was the first to do was actually a team up of these teen characters um jack kirby you know who invented captain america was really hepped up on the whole idea of like you know kid gangs you know like and when i say kid gang i'm not talking about like gangs like we talk about today but i'm talking about like a group of like young boys that would like hang out together on the street almost like you know the dead end kids you know, Leo Gorsi and all that. I know them only because of you. Because of me, yeah. I'm like totally into, like, that thing. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, well, you know, like, the Little Rascals or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Jack Kirby was really hepped up on that idea of, like, you know, boys hanging out and, and like, you know, doing good together. So he, you know, using Bucky and Toro as, like, the sort of front men, introduced a concept called the Young Allies, which was these two, but then a group of, like, normal little kids, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, 
and this idea, you know, as Jack Kirby goes on in his career, is going to be one that's like repeated over and over and over again. He sort of has like a, a formula for these kid gangs. Like, so the initial ones for young allies over a timely uh, were boys named uh, Knuckles, Jeff, Tubby, and uh, very unfortunate, but Whitewash, who was the, the little black boy, you know, in the group or whatever. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's a, once again, you know, as we discussed earlier, you know, with uh, Green Lantern and, and like Pie Face and that whole thing, like, I, I don't think that you know, is intentional racism. I think it's just, you know, a product of the times. I think, you know, back in the day, there would be these characters that would be played, you know, more for humor than anything, you know, intentionally, like, you know, hurtful or anything like that. You know, and it, obviously, you know, with our modern eyes, we look at it a little differently, but we sort of have to look at it through the lens of, of when it was written. I, I certainly don't think Jack Kirby had any, you know, like, ill intent, you know, with the creation of this character. Um, but getting back, like I say, you know, to Kirby's fixation on, like, kid gangs, um, the idea had been around, like, in literature for a while. It actually goes all the way back to the turn of the century. Um, one of the uh, very popular uh, newspaper strips of the day was something called uh, Regular Fellas. You know, it was just like, you know, once again, these little, like, newsboys out mm -hmm. there just, like, you know, having fun. Uh, we already talked about, you know, Little Rascals, uh, Dead End Kids. Um, but Jack Kirby, you know, who grew up, you know, basically in that environment, you know, sort of like Dead End Kid himself, you know, in the streets of Brooklyn... Um, basically codified that idea. You know, he, I say he had a formula. As we go through his career, there'll be kid gang after kid gang after kid gang that always has, like, the handsome one, um, the sort of, like, goofy, funny one, um, the sort of smart one, and then the sort of, like, you know, uh, little pugilistic one, the one who's always, like, always, like, tough, that type thing. The rough and tumble kid. The rough and tumble kid, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Jack Kirby and, and his partner Joe Simon or whatever, you know, as they created Captain America... And in very short order, you know, they are, you know, got a, a huge reputation, you know, for being reliable and, and you know, popular uh, artist-writer team. Well, DC gets wind of this, you know, and, you know, lays out that dough or whatever and lures them away from Timely Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, so Simon and Kirby totally worked for DC back in the day. And what's one of the first things they did? Invented a kid gang. <laughs> <laughs> the um, first one at DC was something called the uh, the Newsboy Legion. And... Uh, and that basically is a group of four orphans, um, you know, one of whom is handsome, uh -huh. one of whom is funny, you know, one who's smart and one who's, you know, like I said, ready to fight. Ready to fight. And their names are Tommy. Oh, Tommy's the handsome one. <laughs> Good for him. Um, Gabby, you know, who's a little like goofball. And uh, I think might be based a little bit on Jack Kirby himself. I think Jack Kirby might be a combination of two of these characters, you know, Big Words, who's the smart one, uh -huh. and then Scrapper, who I think also is a bit of, I think Kirby is a mix of like Gabby and Scrapper. And uh, and over time, they meet this cop who's like, you know, looking out for them. And, uh, and the cop... Percival? <laughs> no, he's not Percival Pop. No, no. <laughs> His name is uh, Jim Harper. Oh, maybe a relation to Roy Harper, Speedy. But uh, he starts looking out for these kids on the street or whatever, and then becomes a superhero of his own, uh, named the Guardian, and then in very short order becomes actually their legal guardian. You know, so oh, okay. so now it's a man who adopts four young boys. <laughs> <laughs> so that was their first DC boy gang. Um, but then their second one little more of an interesting concept and actually a far uh, longer reaching concept too is something called the uh, the boy commandos which um, are a group of four international orphans but on the front you know during world war ii actually overseas you know like I guess mass like fighting, but like as mascots. I don't know. It's it's a it's a whole weird concept. Like when you think about it or whatever. But um, that would be Andre, the French one, who's the handsome guy. Uh -huh. You know, Alfie, the sort of funny, chubby Englishman. 
uh, Jan, who is, I, I guess, the uh, the smart, you know, uh, boy from Holland, and then Brooklyn, you know, who once again is Jack Kirby, you know, uh-huh. the, the rough and tumble kid. And once again, their guardian, the guy that they fight with is, you know, like I think a captain, you know, Rip Carter and, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, but Boy Commandos was hugely popular. Um, they were introduced in uh, in Detective Comics initially in uh, June of 1942, uh, but then in very short order, they were appearing in Detective Comics, uh, World's Finest Comics, which was the joint Superman-Batman title. You know, they were back up in that. And then in very short order, they actually wound up getting their own title, which runs through the duration of the war and then afterwards all the way up to uh, April of 1949. So like a solid, you know, seven-year run of these. Wow. And yeah, it was Dude, it was super popular. They had Jack Kirby, uh, like we talked before, what a speedy artist like Carmen Infantina was doing mm-hmm. like two pages of art a day. Jack Kirby was doing five pages of art a day, a huge portion of it being easy, the boy commander. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, that's it, pretty impressive. Well, pretty impressive. But then there's actually a little footnote where, at you know, after a certain time, he just couldn't crank out all these boy commando pages. So they started bringing in some of these younger artists to like you know help him out. And um, I'm going to say some of these names you might recognize. Uh, Kurt Swan, uh-huh. who would go on to be like the primary Superman artist. Yep. Uh, Gil Kane, Carmine okay. Infantino, <laughs> right? So like all these guys who, like I say, would later be like you know the face of DC started mm-hmm. out as like you know helping out Jack Kirby draw boy, boy commando stories. Yeah, sidekicks himself. Sidekicks himself. That's funny. Carmine Infantino sidekick to Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> so. So once again, now we talked about how, you know, like this teen sidekick was replicated across, you know, all these different companies. Well, as you would well imagine, the whole concept of like, you know, the teen team or, you know, teen gang, that too began replicating across all these different companies. Uh, we talked before about uh, Roy and Dusty from MLJ, you know, right. Shield Moves. They team up, they become a little team called the Boy Buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a um, sort of a forgotten, you know, uh, comic company but they had one big character named you know it and when i say this name you know you're, you're gonna go oh but it's not the same guy uh there was a company called lev gleason comics that uh, had a primary character named daredevil so not the same no guy? he's not matt murdoch he's not the guy on the rooftops or whatever he's actually like uh, kind of a neat mask he's got almost like a divided color mask or whatever um, but uh, but Daredevil from Lev Gleason, he had a, uh, a little group of boys called the Little Wise Guys who helped him out. And then, uh, and then Jack Kirby himself, you know, after a certain time, you know, um, I wouldn't say defected, but like left DC, I guess, for other work. And he went to go work for a company that later on would do all the, you know, sort of Richie Rich and Casper the Friendly Ghost stuff, uh, Harvey Comics. Uh, but back in the day, they had a more diverse line. And, uh, and one of the first things that, uh, you know, Jack Kirby did when he got there... With another boy gang. Invented a boy gang, exactly. In this case, it was called the uh, the Boy Explorers. And you had, you know, Mr. Zero, uh, Gas House, Gadget, and Smiley. And, you know, I'm not sure how it breaks down, but I would imagine, like, you know, Gadget's probably the smart one. You know, yeah. <laughs> Smiley probably the funny one. Maybe Gas House was the tough guy. I don't know, whatever. I'm sure they, they fit the uh, the pattern. Mm. And, uh, and then the final one that I want to talk about, you know, with regard to Kirby is uh, also for Harvey, but... Uh, I've never read this, but as I read about it, it actually sounds really quite amazing. Like it's a uh, it's a comic called Boys Ranch, and same type thing. Okay, the you know the four orphan boys or whatever. But here's the deal: um, there's two of them named Dandy and Wabash, who are orphans born out of the American Civil War. So it's a period piece. Okay, number one, it takes place like in the late 1860s, and one of them is a Northern orphan 
One of them is a southern orphan. They meet each other and decide to make their way out west. As they do, you know, sort of the Horatio Alger thing, right? Um, as they do, they meet another orphan boy, you know, named Angel, who had been adopted by, like, an Indian tribe. You mm-hmm. know, and he's called Angel because he's, like, a white boy, you know, with, like, beautiful, you know, hair or whatever. He grew it lo- longer, like, you know. So he's pretty. Way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then the three of them make it out west, and they help this, this dude who's, like, who owns a ranch or whatever. I guess he's being attacked by, like, rustlers or whatever. The three boys help him out, and then on his dying bed, you know, this man says, you know what? I leave you my ranch, and I want you to use it as a home for orphaned boys. So that concept, I, you know, maybe I need to do more research on Jack Kirby himself, but that concept seems like a very near and dear idea to, to Jack Kirby. Yeah, it does. Like, that's that seems like he it really wants to kind of reach out to the orphan boys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and Boys Ranch, I think, you know, might be the, the, the top example. I, I got to check some of this out because it, sound, it sounds like a fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you alluded to, you know, a little bit earlier, you know, obviously, you know, comic books themselves, superheroes require suspension of disbelief, but Mm. the very concept of like, you know, partnering up with a child to fight crime, you know, that too requires a suspension of disbelief, you know, even greater than, than the core concept. You know, there is something about that that you just, you read comics, you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. But if you thought about it in like, in terms of reality, there's just something wrong about it, right? There, um... There's a columnist that I, I used to like back in the day. He actually did a, a series of hilarious articles on uh, on the Super Friends, sort of a deconstructionist take. And uh, he goes by the uh, the pseudonym Sean Baby. You know, <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's, he's actually he's a totally funny writer. But uh, but he has a quote about you know the whole concept of teen sidekicks that I think think like you know perfectly captures you know what's wrong with it. He goes, I don't know how the public accepted all these heroes, infant sidekicks. Beside the Catholic Church, no other organization hires 10-year-old assistants. <laughs> being a superhero is a lot like being a cop. And if we were watching Cops and one of the policemen was chasing a car thief and with a kid dressed up like a little cop sitting next to him, we would think that's crazy. Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's what Robin is, basically, right? So, you know, like I say, that's, you know, Sean Baby, you know, modern, you know, reflecting back. Um, but contemporarily, you know, there was one individual who took a look at this and said, uh-uh, the, you know, not, not... It's all wrong. It's all wrong. And that, you know, is a man we've mentioned here before, uh, Mr. Frederick, or Doctor, I should say, Frederick Wortham, you know, the man who wrote Seduction of the Innocent, basically, you know, uh, linking the whole concept of juvenile delinquency, you know, to uh, to the comic book, you know, industry. Um, See, I don't really want to be agreeing with him, though. <laughs> you don't want to be agreeing with him? No. <laughs> yeah. So he claimed, you know, that comic books, you know, were corrupting kids of the day, you know, with all the depictions of, like, you know, violence and gore. And, and what he claimed, you know, was uh, sexual impropriety, right? So with the violence and gore, was he talking about, like, the war scenes? So a couple different things. So he's talking about certainly, you know, war comics, you know, um, but also crime comics. I, I, I think... Um, we might have mentioned this before with regard to EC, how they were getting like very lurid in their like depictions of, of crime and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one, actually, so earlier in the, the show when I told you that Daredevil character, Lev Gleason Comics, um, one of their other big titles was a title called uh, Crime Does Not Pay. And basically, you know, that showed, you know, brutal retribution for, for criminals, like violent, like killed in the street type oh, stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Wortham across the board, you know was throwing the baby out with the bathwater, basically. You know, he looked at these things, which, yeah, probably were overboard or whatever, but he he painted it with, you know, a single wide brush. You know, as I said before, sexual impropriety. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that he targeted, you know, you know, germane to our show or whatever, was the whole concept of the teen sidekick. You know, he looked at Batman and Robin, and, and this is a, you know, a, a sort of renowned quote from his book. 
He claimed that Batman and Robin was, quote, a wish dream of two homosexuals living together. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like a single man and a young boy, you know, he likened to homosexuality. Just completely different, like... Yeah, he's like off the wall. Completely off the wall. So, you know, we've talked before how, you know, the... Um, the Senate hearings that were born out of that, you know, spawned that self-policing agency, you know, within, um, you know, the comics industry, you know, the comics, comics code, code yeah. right, which then set up all these, you know, different rules and regulations about what could and could not be shown. Now, mostly, you know, I think certainly that curbed the violence, certainly that took away, you know, some more of the lurid elements. But with regard to teen sidekicks, it actually wound up having the reverse effect. You know, I think that that Wortham wanted. You know, he's like, oh, this is a bad depiction. You can't show, you know, like you know, an adult with a child or whatever. Comics said, no, no, that's wholesome, you know, because that's a parenting relationship. As a matter of fact, D, you know, where I'm using DC Comics as an example here, we are going to expand out, you know, our, our concept <laughs> of, of the teen sidekick. You know, at that time, a lot of the superheroes had gone to the wayside. Like, there was no longer, you know, TNT or, you know, Sandman or whatever they were retired. But, like, um, two of the ones that continued through were Batman and Robin, of course, but mm-hmm. also, um, you know, Green Arrow and Speedy. They were still extant. Well, on the heels of that, across the board, they're like, we're going to introduce more teens. Um, Supergirl, you know, who you know. Um, not so much a teen psychic. She was actually a, a hero, you know, under herself. Um, but she was introduced, you know, right after the code was put in place, you know, in uh, in May of 1959. Um, Kid Flash, you know, that we've mentioned a, a couple mm-hmm. times. Yep. Um, he was introduced in the, uh, you know, in Flash Comics a couple months later, I believe in uh, December of 59. Um, Aqualad, you know, who... Um, similar to many, many children that we've looked at before, was an orphan from Atlantis. You know, uh, Aquaman was out on patrol and he found this, you know, this little boy sitting out on a rock somewhere. He's like, oh, he's like, oh before you came back, you know, that they cast me out of Atlantis or whatever. And so, you know, Aquaman takes him under his wing, you know, and mm-hmm. he, I don't know if he becomes his Aqua Ward or whatever. Aqua but, Ward. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they partner up. Um, so that's, you know, our main heroes, but like one of the weird ones and, uh, and we'll get more into this, you know, a little bit later, you know, because there are definitely magic elements, you know, to her background as well is uh, a character called Wonder Girl. Okay. Okay. Now. Is that Wonder Woman? Well, so you would think it'd be like Wonder Woman's partner, you know, like her junior partner, but initially that's not what it was at all. You know, Bob Kaniger, who was overseeing the Wonder Woman titles at, at that time, sort of had a, uh, a different way of approaching the concept of, you know, quote-unquote, the teen sidekick. What he did was introduce a character named Wonder Girl, who actually was Wonder Woman as a girl, okay? So basically it's... Like a time warp thing? Well, so I'll explain it to you. I'll try to explain it to you, because it actually gets kind of (laughs) convoluted. So Wonder Woman initially, I said, was made out of clay, right? Her mother made her as this little statue, blew life into her, and she became this, you know, this magically empowered warrior girl, you know? Uh Well... Bob Kaniger sort of rejiggered, you know, the uh, the origin to say, well, she wasn't created as a woman. She was actually created as a child, okay? She grew up on Paradise Island, you know, and at a certain point was Wonder Girl, okay? Started telling stories of Wonder Woman as a girl. A few issues later, started telling stories of Wonder Woman as a baby called Wonder Tot, okay? Now, uh-huh. as time goes on, they introduced this weird thing called Impossible Tales where Wonder Woman's mother... Hippolyta has this machine that allows her to take, I guess, filmed snippets of the past. You know, she, she's able to go into the past, capture that on image, bring it, you know, forward or whatever, and then splice it together to create stories of Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl, and Wonder Tot all having adventures together. I mean, it's some bizarre stuff. That is really weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now. 
if you took that merely as, you know, okay, that's the story. And like, you go, all right, that's crazy. And I can sort of accept it. And, you know, that, that, that's weird. But all right, that's what they're going with. Now, of all the writers that we looked at, who do you think, you know, is the most sort of like, you know, crazy type writer? Bob Haney. Bob Haney. Now, Bob Haney, when he looked at these stories, you know, I think might have misunderstood it. You know, he's off in his little Earth B world or whatever, and he sees all these like, you know, characters or whatever. And he's like, oh, obviously, you know, there is a Wonder Woman, a Wonder Girl and a Wonder Tot. These are three distinct characters. So he takes Wonder Girl and starts writing stories of her in modern day, just thinking she's like, oh, she's like Robin's contemporary. She's like, you know, Aqualad's contemporary. She's not. She's supposed to be Wonder Woman as a girl. But Bob Haney, you know, just created her as a separate character. You know, so... so he doesn't care. <laughs> Bob Haney doesn't care about it. So that is how they, you know, handled the reintroduction of the teen sidekick, you know, on the on the DC side. On Marvel, you know, as, I guess, you know, was a trend there. We've talked before about how, um, you know, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, you know, when they were creating, you know, the whole sort of Marvel age of comics, they used a little bit of a different approach, a, a more mature approach, you know, to, to, to universe building. Mm-hmm. And so, too, I think, you know, a little bit more of a, a mature approach to the introduction of their teenagers, you know, whereas on the DC side, you know, it was all like, you know, sidekicks and orphans and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, for Marvel, it seemed like, you know, a little more like empowered, I guess you could say. You know, like uh, you take, for instance, you know, uh, Johnny Storm, right, from the Fantastic Four. Like, you know, in the movies, he's not a teenager or whatever, but initially as they're introduced, he's Sue Storm's, you know, like kid brother. But as Vanessa was telling us, he went off and fronted his own solo tales in, in you know, uh, Strange Tales. You know, he fronted, you know, his own strip. You yeah. know, so there you have a teenager as the lead character. Um, Spider-Man, I mean, forget about it. That's the, uh, you know, the adventures of a high school boy. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, front and center, you know, fighting Dr. Octopus and basically fighting adults. You know, he doesn't have any sort of, you know, like, uh, you know, adult hero by his side. Um, X-Men, you know, like it, it, that in and of itself, right? So certainly they have Professor Xavier, but all the battles are all these teenagers, you know, yeah, out, right. out there fighting. Exactly. So, uh, and X-Men is actually a good place, I, I think, to sort of, you know, bring this all back around because, um, you know, that is basically, you know, the, the whole concept, once again, of the teen hero team, which now, you know, as a back and forth between DC and Marvel, one has an idea, the other copies it, so on and so forth, you know, on the heels of the, you know, invention of the X-Men in, uh, you know, uh, in late 63, I think DC, you know, kind of got a little bit of, the, of that fever, whatever, is like, oh, we need a teen team of our own, you know, and of course, they had all these, like, sidekicks hanging around, you know, who mm-hmm. better to basically have, like, a junior Justice League, you know, than, than DC. Um, so the way that that first, you know, came into shape um, was, uh, we mentioned before, the team-up title, Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Right? So before it was a Batman-fronted title, it was right. just team-ups of, like, other characters, like, you know. Batman fl- plus whoever. Well, no, no, no. But I'm saying that's what it would become. But initially it was, you know, whoever plus whoever. It'd be, like, the Doom mm. Patrol and Flash would team up or, like, you know, uh, John Jones and, and Green Arrow. Um, and so in one issue, they teamed up Robin, Kid Flash, and Aqualad. This would have been uh, Brave and the Bold number 54 from uh, June of 1964. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even referred to as the Teen Titans at that point. You know, they were just three people who happened to be teaming up in this issue. But the response was phenomenal. You know, people wanted like, oh, that's awesome. We want more of it or whatever. So in uh, just a couple issues, I had Brave and the Bold uh, number 60 um, from June of uh, 65, so a year later. Um, they had these three, you know, plus Wonder Girl, 
then team up, you know, and, and now this time, you know, they're actually called the Teen Titans. So ah. Wonder Girl, we just talked about, you know, wasn't even supposed to be a contemporary character. So can you imagine who wrote this story in Brave and the Bold? Haney. Exactly, Bob Haney. The Teen Titans are a creation of uh, Bob Haney with, I think, a little bit of input from uh, the editor, uh, George Cashtan. Um, it's a name that, that comes up from time to time. And uh, I think, um, I, as we had said before, we were going to be doing the animated stuff this time out. I, th- I think I'm actually going to hold off on that. Um, but when we get into that, you'll see that uh, Haney and Cashtan um, sort of do a, a lot of joint ventures together. So I think, yeah, initially from a writing perspective, it, it was those two. And then artistically, an artist that I don't believe will actually ever take a look at any of his work, um, but he's actually quite good, a fellow by the name of uh, Bruno Primiani. He uh, is probably most known for uh, the Doom Patrol, um, but he was the initial artist on, uh, on Teen Titans. Neat. Um, but in very short order, you know, the artist who would probably most be associated with uh, the Teen Titans, you know, at least for their, their early run, a fellow by the name of uh, Nick Cardi, would come on when they shifted them from Brave and the Bold over to uh, Showcase, you know, which was the, uh, the tryout title, right? Okay. They had uh, one issue there, uh, Showcase number 69, um, from later in that same year, uh, November of 65. And, uh, and that, as I say, is the first Cardi-penned Teen Titan tale. And some of these concepts, like I say, you know, would run in Showcase for like, you know, three, four, five issue tryouts. No. Teen Titans had one issue, and then boom, they were like squarely in their own title beginning hmm. January of 66, just like two months later. It almost makes you feel like with that two-month turnaround, they already knew that they were going to like start the title. Yeah, you yeah, know? they must have. Maybe they had already the story in inventory or whatever, but they couldn't like, you know, secure the copyright. I, I don't know what it Who was. But, uh, but yeah, like I say, you know, in, in very short order, you know, Teen Titans was out there on the, uh, on the racks. And, uh, and the early issues of Teen Titans through the one that we're looking tonight are... Like, you know, very, very, very much informed by the whole, you know, sort of ginchy gear, you know, lingo that we looked at in, in Teen Beat. Awesome. You know, Bob Haney claims that, you know, he knew young people that, that like, you know, talk this way or whatever. But then people would routinely write in the letter columns going, who talks like that? Like, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> so ridiculous. Ginchy. Ginchy, uh, you know, and... Uh, and this, you know, we're not going to look at this era or whatever, but the, you know, the first, you know, 10 or 12 issues or so of Teen Titans were like squarely in the Go-Go Check era, you know, when everything was like, you know, Mod and Dayglo and da 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 and, and those early stories, you know, certainly reflected that. Um, the story that we're going to look at tonight is right on the cusp, you know, like I say, you know, it's from, uh, you can cover date of January 68, but like I say, you know, in sale on uh, late 67. So... A little bit shifting away from like you know uh, you know tiny juveniles type stuff, but definitely still informed by a lot of that as we're gonna see, and uh, and especially appropriate you know for our final episode of the uh, of the season because it is a Christmas themed you know uh, story of the Teen Titans. Oh yay! You know we um, obviously we're a magic and supernatural show. Teen Titans, as I've described it, you know are not necessarily you know like magic you know at all. That you know later on they're gonna get a character or two that you know, has some elements of the supernatural about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do this one because it's actually a take on Christmas Carol. So you get like... Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. You get elements of like ghosts and that type thing or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's a stretch, but, you know, it, I'm going to make it fit for Parliament of Rooks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this uh, is uh, Teen Titans number 13 um, from January, February 1968. Um it's called the TT's Swingin' Christmas Carol. Um, <laughs> the, uh, before we get into you know the story itself, I should probably give you a, a, a bit of background on who the Teen Titans are at this point. So I said you know at their initial tryout, it was um, you know Robin, 
Kid Flash and, and Aqualad. Mm-hmm. You now have the addition of Wonder Girl, you know, in, into that mix, you know, who we don't quite know who she is yet because she's not even supposed to exist. Right. Um, then occasionally they would guest star Speedy, you know, Green Arrows. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Speedy's not in this story or whatever, but um, oddly, you know, when we take a look at the animated stuff, they uh, they do include him there. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know why. You know, when you look at the letter columns of the time, Everybody was clamoring to have Speedy made it a permanent member of the team, but maybe I don't know. Maybe Haney's like, I can only write four characters at a time. I don't hmm. want five or something. But uh, but anyway, like I say, um, tonight let's go ahead and uh, take a look at our cover, which is penciled and inked by Nick Carty. Um, you know, with letters by our old friend Ira Schnapp. <laughs> and uh, so what we see basically is. Um, you know, the uh, the Teen Titans, the four that I described, you know, across the top, we actually see them in little, you know, headshot vignettes, uh, you know, Robin, Aqualad, Wonder Girl, and Kid Flash. Um, and below, we see that the four of them have been captured, I guess, by our, our two nefarious baddies here. Um, it looks like they are sort of wrapped up in, in junk. You know, we see Kid Flash, you know, poking through like a car radiator and, you know, Robin's all tied up with a spare tire and stuff like that. And they're just sort of like, you know, bound to the ground, but in such a way that, um, you know, I guess a spotlight from above has cast them almost in the shape of a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of neat. It's sort of like triangular type thing. And so these two bad guys are at the bottom of the tree, you know, giving each other, you know, an old-fashioned bow. And one dude saying, a Christmas gift to you, Mr. Big. Whereas Mr. Big says, no humbug this, Mr. Scrounge. Mr. Scrounge. <laughs> Mr. Scrounge, right? <laughs> As the uh, Teen Titans presents A Christmas Happening. There you go. <laughs> so let's go ahead and, uh, you know, open this up to our story on the inside and uh you know we see in our i guess yeah, three-quarter page you know splash mm-hmm. uh, apparently mr scrounge there you know uh you know kneeling in the snow you know with his hands clasped together begging you know these spectral figures behind him saying oh ghosts of christmas past present and future what do you want of poor me we want you to undo the wrongs you've done, you old skinflint, or we'll haunt you out of your grotty mind. Grotty? <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, Bob Haney, you know, teen slang, uh-huh. as we see, script by Bob Haney, art by Nick Carty, and uh, not credited, but uh, letters here by uh, uh, Joe Letteries. I think we might have seen him one other time. Yeah. The uh, name very evocative of, of a letterer, I suppose. Indeed. So, and, uh, and Joe, you know, I guess writes in this narrative box below. Uh, fanatic ones. Charles Dickens has been long dead, but his great books, his fabulous characters, live on. In fact, his stories are so alive today that they keep on happening. So join you here, that fantastic foursome, ye teen titans, for a holiday happening inspired by the immortal pages of the greatest yuletide tale of them all. Yes, deck yourselves with boughs of holly and park under the mistletoe most marvelous as we begin the T.T.'s swinging Christmas Carol. I dig it. <laughs> I think we're in for a ginchy time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we turn our page and uh, we begin, apparently, two days before Christmas as the silent snow falls secretly over a hillside in the country. And uh, on this hillside, you know, if you sort of squint up at the hill or whatever. That's a Batman. I was going to say, you see a billboard advertising the Batman TV show. Nice. Um, you, you wouldn't know this, uh, you know, because we're sort of getting in like 13 issues into the Teen Titans. But their secret headquarters, like I say, is hidden behind a billboard for Batman. I guess, you know, Bob Haney kind of does a little bit of real world crossover type thing you know obviously you know his continuity isn't you know it's just only sort of like loosely fitting with the rest of the dc stuff so i guess in his world batman does run on tv mm-hmm. you know so whatever so inside this hill we see the uh, the four famed figures like everyone else waiting breathlessly for santa 
was, uh, you know, the Teen Titans are chilling out in their clubhouse in uniform, no less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, each with a, a little book, you know, uh, on the couch. You and, know, what's interesting is that you could take that same scene today, but just take the books and replace them with like electronic devices. Yeah, like like, like iPads or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, iPhones. Exactly. And just like all <laughs> ignoring each other. Um, but let's take a look at what they're reading. Uh, as we look, they're actually reading comic books of the day. We've actually, we've seen a couple of these in uh, Direct Currents. Uh, Aqualad is reading the current issue of Aquaman. Uh, Wonder Girl's reading Wonder Woman. <laughs> Kid Flash, for some reason, is actually reading Superman. I guess he, he's, he's not a fan of his, uh, you know, his, his aunt's husband. It's like, what are you saying? Yeah. And, uh, and Robin, I guess, is, uh, you know, shunning the comic books this year and is actually reading Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. As uh, Kid Flash says... Hey, Robin, how can you read that old corny old tale? It's like nowhere. Yeah, check it out, Wonder, says uh, Aqualad. Get, get with it. This Aquaman is cool, wet and wild. <laughs> and the kid with him, he's dynamite. <laughs> he <crosses> himself. <laughs> and uh, you know, Wonder Girl's just kind of give him a sideways glance. Ha, very funny, Gilhead, says Robin. Gilhead. Yeah, but I enjoy the old stories about Christmas. Charles Dickens was quite a writer. Uh, but that story's definitely ungroovy these days, says Wonder Girl. Who could believe it's such uncool characters as Scrooge or Bob Cratchit and all that old jazz? Uh, I guess you're right, Wonder Chick, says Robin, you know, grabbing a copy of Batman. How about this mag? Now you're grooving good looking, <laughs> says Wonder Girl. You know, I, I I need to like chill out on the voice order because I, I'm giving each and every one of these the snapper car voice <laughs> to include Wonder Girl. Well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so as this is going on, you know, we see, uh, you know, a candle burning in the background and, you know, uh, sort of spookily rising from the candle. You know, we have some additional narration as, uh, you know, I guess... <laughs> The, the narration of the candle says, Yes, Dickens, A Christmas Carol is just a dusty, corny old classic. And like it couldn't happen today, or could it? <laughs> In this Christmas of 1967, are things and people, the spirit of the season, really any different than they ever were? Read on, Titanic ones, and all shall be most wondrously revealed. As uh, we see, not far off, the same silent snow falling softly on a fantastic, bizarre scene on the city's outskirts. What, the, the alliteration? He's yeah, still, the Gardner Fox of it all. Yeah, he's stealing <laughs> a page from, uh, from Fox's book. Um, so we see uh, this junkyard, which is uh, sort of like uh, stylized, almost like the Grinch or whatever, right? You know, uh, the, I guess, old, you know, junked bus, which is serving as, as the office of the junkyard, is up like on one of those, like almost like Tim Burton Hills. Yeah, you know, like kind of, I like, like the artwork. Curved That's around. neat looking. Yeah, oh, dude, Nick Cardi, like, you know, so... I'm always touting Neil Adams or whatever as so sort of like you know the uh, the spirit of these times really bringing in you know realism or whatever. But Nick Cardi, you know, while not quite of the same school as Neil Adams, um, you know, does have a, a very sort of like distinctly modern style. Um, one of the things that always jumps out at me about his artwork is the uh, the shading in his pencils. Like a lot of what you're seeing here is not ink work. You know, this is you know he shades. He does like. Um, it's a style of shading called hatching, right? You know, oh, with, yeah, yeah. With the okay. lines or whatever. Yes, and I can see it. Yeah, you'll definitely see it, you know, like in, in the body forms or whatever, but even not like on the landscapes, you know, that, uh, yeah, I actually am quite a fan of uh, Nick Carty. Uh, I think at this time he was doing both the Teen Titans and and Aquaman, which I believe, you know, at the time were both written by Bob Haney and both edited by George Cashton, so maybe the three of them were sort of a crew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, in back inside this junkyard, which apparently is run by uh, Ebenezer Scrounge, proprietor. Mm -hmm. um, so right off the bat, we need to suspend a little disbelief because yeah, these course. characters are going to be kind of made like that. Uh, but we see uh, two voices coming from inside this uh, bus office. Mr. Scrounge, couldn't we turn up the uh, heat a l little? I can hardly work. Bah, humbug, ratchet. This temperature is stimulating. Keeps your mind clear and on your work, my good fellow. Uh, yes, sir, Mr. Scrounge. 
I'm, I'm trying to finish up so I can have Christmas Day off. You want Christmas Day off? Humbug! You'll only waste your time and the good money I pay you. But, but, sir, everyone celebrates Christmas. I don't. It's all humbug. But I suppose you can have it off, Ratchet, if you keep at those books. You know, we see the, uh, you know, proprietor. Very, very sort of like, you know, stylized old man with the, the you know, bony fingers pointing at, yes. you know, uh, Bob Ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we see Bob, you know, getting back to the books thinking, the old miser, he's so stingy, he even saves pull-top tabs. Oh, but I need this job. My kid, Tiny Tom, <laughs> needs that automatic wheelchair for Christmas <laughs> so he can get around and have a little fun. Uh, with what Mr. Scrounge pays me, I can just afford it by working overtime. As we see him all, like, you know, bundled up in his scarf and earmuffs and all. Yeah. <laughs> so, not long after, you know, we see, uh, I guess, Scrounge, you know, pulling Cratchit, you know, out the door saying, uh, Yes, Ratchet, you heard me. You can, you can leave early. Now, now go. Go quickly. Don't waste your time. Why, uh, thank you, sir, as uh, Ratchet thinks. Hmm. Something up to something. Yeah, Scrounge must want me away from here pretty badly to let me go home now, as uh, Chuck's pulling up. Hmm, thanks, Ratchet. That truck and those two quick-looking characters. He doesn't want me around when he deals with them. Something funny is going on around here. Uh, but after Bob Ratchet leaves the Junko-Rama, uh, we see a little boy pulling up in a wheelchair. And he's thinking, I think I'll pay a visit to Dad while he's at work, if nasty old Scrounge will let me. Hmm, says a boy peering around the corner. That office looks empty. Maybe they're around back in the main junkyard. Uh, so moments later, you know, we see Tiny Tom, you know, peeking around the corner in the shadows as he sees, you know, nefarious doings. Ah, boys, give me that green. Such a sweet feel it has. You know, we see Scrounge taking a, a wad of cash. And uh, Mr. Big says, be ready for another delivery in a day or so. I'm always ready, boys. And I don't want to know what you do with this junk after I leave it at night. That's your business. Making money is my business. Uh, so apparently he's selling these guys, you know, some of his, his junk for... You know, maybe a high price. So long, Scrounge, and Merry Christmas. You know, Sarah Thug's heading out. Christmas, humbug. Good night, boys. As, uh, you know, they leave and we see, you know, Tiny Tom, you know, hiding behind a, a pile of junk. Whew, he thinks. Something real weird about all this. I better keep watching. Continued on the third page following. And then we go by our, you know, oh, yeah, I guess right in time for Christmas. We've already seen this ad, but the M16 Marauder. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Semi-automatic. Uh, let's see. And an ad for uh, the latest issue of uh, Showcase with with them. So this character, I this is actually a reprint. I, I know, strangely, yeah, Showcase normally had like uh, modern stuff or whatever, but maybe they were trying for a revival of their old Western heroes. Um, Showcase presents Top Gun, you know, issue number seventy two, and this actually is Johnny Thunder, mm-hmm. but not like you know, not Golden Age Johnny Thunder. This was the cowboy character Johnny Thunder that like you know replaced it after the Golden, like in the fifties or whatever. Okay, um, but he looks suspicious, like Superman. Like look at that spit curl. Yeah, <laughs> it was like Superman travel time travel back to the old west and is gunning down some dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like Superman changed his clothes. Yeah, that's what he does on vacation. <laughs> He's like, no one will catch me in the past. <laughs> So we go back to our story as we see, you know, after Ebenezer Scrounge leaves, you know, our, our two thugs are hitting this uh, junk with like some sort of like sci-fi laser gun. Now to turn this gizmo and pull the big switcheroo, he says. Every time I see it, says the other uh, thug, I can barely believe it. Mr. Big sure has a good thing going on here. Important junk from overseas and then turning it back to brand new expensive stuff that he can sell at big profits without paying any duty. It's foolproof. <laughs> really? That's their plan. They're just okay. trying to do, like, a custom scam? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, says the other guy. And using Scrounge's layout here as a cover is foolproof, too. That old buzzard will do anything for a buck. Wow, thinks uh, Tiny Tom, you know, beating feet out of there in his wheelchair. Over the snow, he's pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they're smugglers, and Dad's boss, Mr. Scrounge, is helping them. I gotta tell Dad now. 
Uh, but when Tiny Tom does tell Bob Ratchet what he's seen at the junkyard, oh, scrounge mixed up in a crooked racket, says uh, Bob. That explains why he let me go early. You better go to the police, Dad, says uh, Tiny Tom. Uh, well, I think, Tommy, it's better if I talk to Mr. Scrounge first. Give him a chance to explain. Ooh, probably uh, not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, so shortly after, in uh, Scrounge's old rundown mansion, What? You accuse me of criminal activities? You're wrong, Ratchet. I simply rent my junkyard to her businessmen. Uh, what they do is their business. Uh, but, sir, it, it's illegal. We should call the police, says uh, Bob Ratchet, holding his hat in a very, like, you know, sort of old-fashioned way. Yeah. You know, around the rim, all I nervous. I can practically see it, like, twisting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, says uh, Scrounge. It's none of your affair, Ratchet. If you utter one word to anyone, you're fired. And I think you'd better work Christmas Day after all, so I can keep an eye on you. But, but, Mr. Scrounge, I, uh... uh so soon, you know, we see Bob, you know, going back to, uh, to Tiny Tom, saying, I'm sorry, son, I, I can't risk losing my job. How could I take care of you? How could I buy that electric wheelchair for you? I promised your mom before she died. Please, Tommy, please understand. I do, Dad, says uh, Tiny Tom. No, don't feel bad. As he thinks, poor Dad. Mr. Scrounge has him under his stingy thumb. I need help, and I know just who to get it from. Uh, so not long after, you know, outside the Junkorama, we see four famed figures watching with Tiny Tom Ratchet. And that's my complete story, Teen Titans. You just gotta help me, and help my poor Dad. Well, that is quite a story, says Robin. A smuggling racket to turn junk into valuable goods, using a junkyard as a base of operation. Hey, here comes a truck, he says. You see the lights barreling down the road as the Titans, you know, duck down behind the snowbank. Oh, it's those same hoods, says Tiny Tom, making another delivery. Perfect, says Robin. This is our chance to check out the whole setup. Tommy, you wait here. Okay, team, let's make like junk. What? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so a few, mon- um, a few moments later, you know, we see the uh, the Titans jump onto the back of the truck. That's it's a pretty good drawing of a truck, dude. Like, check it out. Like, um, we've said before on the show, you know, Melanie and I are both uh, vets. Dude, that totally looks like a deuce and a half. It does. Yeah, yeah. So we see Wonder Girl. Um, once again, so similar to Wonder Woman, she has all the same power, so she must have rode the air currents because she's holding onto the top of the truck. And then our, our other, you know, three guys are kind of holding below. Uh, so they ride along, and, you know, I guess the uh, truck gets to the dump, and uh, after dumping its load, you know, you see the thugs, now to turn all this junk into beautiful, shiny new stuff, just like Santa Claus and his little helpers. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> this is it, team, you know, whispers uh, one of the Titans. Looks like Tiny Tom wasn't kidding with that fantastic story. That we hear, clunkety, clunkety, clunk. Hold it, says one of the thugs. Uh, something, somebody over there behind that junk pile. Grab him, says the other. Got him! As they jump on somebody, let him have it! You know, and we just see in shadows a big fight. Mm-hmm. You know, the two of them are, you know, thudding some dude. Um, but uh, but the shadowy figure, you know, apparently reacts with sudden fury. You know, as, uh, you know he ducks down and thud. You know, they, they wind up hitting each other. Oof! Hey! He's too much! Say the thugs, let's get out of here! As they're, they're beaten feet. And uh, as the two confused hoods rev up their truck, we better tell Mr. Big that Snooper interrupted our delivery. Uh, bail out, team, says Robin, you know, jumping off the back of the truck, you know, unbeknownst to our thugs. Uh, so in the next instant, you know, after the truck has uh, uh, split, Mumble and Mantas, Robin, says Aqualad. So a little, I, just get, I see by your face, you already get it. Yeah, his, his puns are always going to be sort of nautically. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. Mumble and Mantas, Robin, uh, they're leaving, and we never really saw them switch the junk into new stuff. Obvious but true, Gilhead, says Robin. Gilhead! <laughs> that lone intruder, let's follow him. Kid Flash, get Tommy. Uh, so not long after, you know, we see the remaining Titans, you know, over at uh, Scrounge's house, you know, following that, uh, you know, that shadowy figure. There he is, knocking on the door of that bleak mansion. That's Mr. Scrounge's house. 
What could he want there at this time of night? What that shadowy figure wants, says our narration, will curl your hair, wonder chick. And we see, you know, the uh, fist banging on Scrange's door. Bang! 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 Oh, maybe it's tiny from the dead man's head. <laughs> banging on doors. Ebenezer Scrounge, I have returned. Open up. Bang! 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 That voice, says Scrounge. No, it can't be. Go away, whoever you are. Bang! 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 Scrounge, open up or I'll break it down. I'll open it, says Scrounge. I'll open it. He opens the door. Jacob Farley! Uh. <laughs> no, no, it's not possible. You aren't real. You're a ghost. I'm real, all right, Scrounge, says, uh, you know, Farley. It's, it's like the, so just for the benefit of our listeners, so we see Farley. He's like, you know, clearly like almost like a Jean Valjean, you know, from like, you know, Les Miserables. You know, he's got the oh, uh, prisoner's outfit or whatever, but, but a full beard, which yeah, I'm yeah. sure they don't let you do in prison. You know, but like really stereotypical, like, you know, black and white stripes. stripes. Yeah, yeah. And even a little like striped, you know, cap yeah. type thing. Beanie. Yeah. I'm real, I'm real enough, all right, Scrounge. Real enough to wreck my revenge on you, you old skinflint. Now, prepare to meet justice uh as our narration kicks in prepare to meet more shocks surprises and christmas goodies as the titans tangle with a whole sleigh load of action and thrills in part two which continues on the third page following boom, boom, boom. before we get there we got some uh, little christmas ads for a new game avalanche it looks like kind of like a uh, shoots and ladders type thing right with marbles mm. or like plinko maybe from like, you know, <laughs> like <Plinko. laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh and then the second page isn't it? You know, another ad for uh, you know more military-inspired toys. You know, we see you can get 116 planes for only a dollar twenty-five. Probably tiny little like you know army man-sized planes or whatever. You know, but uh, they're really hepped up on the whole like militaristic thing this year. Uh, maybe oh 67, maybe like you know Vietnam no. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then we have our letter page. You know, uh, <laughs> T tell it to the T Titans. <laughs> you mean to tell it to the T Titans? To tell it to the Titans. That's actually better. <laughs> I'm sure maybe that is it. Um, so uh, and and as I was saying, like the first, you know, I guess four letters here are all like bring Speedy into the Teen Titans. You know, uh, dear editor, you know, Teen Titans eleven was great, except for the fact that Speedy wasn't made a permanent member. You know, and the second one's like. Uh, let me begin by saying issue 11, or, or ish number 11, uh, was fab. <laughs> um, fans arise, though. We want Speedy. And then the other one is, uh, you know, same type thing. Speedy was a sensation. And then, uh, you know, it, it, the editor's like, jumps in. He's like, there's just a sample of the deluge of mail that greeted Speedy's second guest shot. Who knows? He may turn out yet to be a permanent TT uh, or tut. <laughs> um, but uh, we're making no promises, you know. But why? Like once again, like he, he, clearly a popular character, or whatever. But like, like I say, I don't know. Maybe there was licensing or whatever. Like, so let's think about it for a second. You know, Green Arrow and uh, um, Speedy were in Adventure Comics, which is a Mort Weisinger title. Um, but uh, let's see, Robin would have been in the Julius Schwartz edited, I guess at this point, you know, Batman stuff. Uh, Wonder Woman is Bob Kaniger still. Uh, Aquaman, we already said, is Cash Dan. And Flash is Julia Schwartz. So maybe that's it. Maybe they can only occasionally get Speedy because he's a Mort Weisinger, mm. you know, owned character or something. Could be. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but that's the Speedy stuff. And then... What else did I want to look at here? Oh, <laughs> at the tail end. So, you know, Speedy's one, uh, you know, topic of conversation that always crops up in the letter columns. So, too, are the Beatles. You know, I mentioned before that the Beatles and the Teen Titans are always kind of like, yeah. you know, right They're back. like pen pals. Yeah, exactly. You know, but apparently in the letter page, it's a cause of great concern um, because uh, this kid's like, uh, 
I have a few things to say about the letters concerning the Beatles in issue number 10 of Teen Titans. Randy Parker made the mistake in the first sentence of his letter. Instead of reading, quote, Why mention those censored Beatles in such a high-class mag as TT? It should read, Why mention such a high-class group as the Beatles in such a third-rate mag as TT? Really, dude? What are you buying it for, then? Why are you bothering <laughs> yeah. to write in? Yeah, I know. And then uh, somebody else says, uh, I don't know where you get the stupid idea that your idiot fiction Titans are better than the Beatles. You're a fool to print any such thing. If there really were such a group as the Titans, the Beatles would draw a bigger and better crowd than any town in the U.S. You know, why don't you think twice before you print any uh, letters like the one from that censored Randy Parker from Michigan? <laughs> like, A, not true, dude. If, Calm down. Yeah, but like if they were if they were real, you think somebody that could move at super speed and a girl that could fly through the air would bring a better crowd than the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, the editor jumps in. It's like, well, I hope you learned your lesson, Randy Parker. You go making cracks about those Beatles, you bring the wrath of their fans down upon you. In case anyone has any doubts, though, don't get us wrong. We love the Beatles. <laughs> gotta... So I gotta ask. What's that? Do you think these are legitimate letters? Uh, actually, I do. You know, to be honest, um, I, I don't think, you know, so we saw, I think, you know, what were probably plants in uh, uh, Teen Beat and Teen Beam or whatever. That's um, why I'm asking. Yeah, but apart from that, no, generally, you know, comic book letter pages were pretty legit, you know. Um, long story short, you know, we don't know the age of these people. You know, they could be, you know, li- little kids or whatever. You know, they could be adults. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I think these are, let me see if they recognize any names. No, nothing jumps out at me as like you know a famous letter writer, but meh, I think they're legit. Because like none of them are from New York or New Jersey, you know. Like isn't that like you know the big area for for comic books, or is that just where all the talent comes from? Well, oh, so yeah, like well, that's where the company. Oh, so now here's what you got to remember. So back in the day, you couldn't really be a remote artist like nowadays. Everybody's like you know lives wherever they right. want in the world and just sends their stuff in from a computer. Back in the day, if you wanted a job at DC, you had to live in New York. So that's probably why the concentration of talent was there. Mm-hmm. But letter writers, no, they came from all over the place. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So in any case, let us turn our page and resume the. Uh, T.T.'s Swinging Christmas Carol with Chapter 2, as our narration tells us that Ebenezer Scrounge, miser first class, has just opened the door to receive the friendly greeting of his old partner Jacob Farley, an escaped convict. Watching this tender reunion are the Teen Titans and Tiny Tom. Oh, they have the same initials, <laughs> T.T. and T.T., <laughs> all right? So, let me see, uh, you know, the shadows on the wall, you know, from outside. I'll make you pay for what you've done, you miserable old... No, Jacob, don't harm me, please, says Scrounge. Uh-oh, says, uh, you know, Robin. Looks like our Q team. Flasheroo, stop Farley from <laughs> shrinking Scrounge's collar size any farther. I'm on my way, says uh, Flasheroo. <laughs> <laughs> so vibrating through the wall. This is a standard yeah. flash trick, right? Uh, the teen speedster spins like a dervish. Pardon me, gentlemen, he says, you know, <laughs> like a, a top spinning through him, breaking him up. What the? Says, you know, Marley going back. Saved, <laughs> says, <laughs> says Scrounge. <laughs> A moment later, Ah, oh, the Teen Titans, says Farley. That's right, Farley, says Robin. Now, since you're obviously escaped from prison, you've got some tall explaining to do. Oh, I was Scrounge's partner in life, says uh, Marley, or Farley. <laughs> uh, but now I'm as good as dead, a convict, because I took the rap for Scrounge. We sold some defective material, someone was hurt on a job, and I alone was blamed. I didn't know the material was bad, but Scrounge had it fixed, so he was in the clear. That's a really good drawing. It is. Um, so for folks listening or whatever, we see, you know, Scrounge, or not Scrounge, uh, Farley, I guess, telling his tale to the Titans in the background. But then superimposed is an image of Farley, you know, his face. 
And Nick Cardi has really just put a lot of, of you know, fine detail work, you know, with the shading. And you can even see the individual hairs in his beard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although I, will, his eyebrows. I will say, though, um, he's sort of like, because of the superimposition to uh, make it distinct from the remainder of the panel, they have sort of highlighted it in a green glow, which makes me think he's possessed by dead yeah, men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but uh, Scrounge hears this tale and he's like, lies. I didn't know the material was bad either. Uh, but once it happened, I protected myself. Why should both of us go to prison for one mistake? Why? Are you conniving heartless? Says, uh, you know, Farley Lungentor and Robin's holding him back. I've had enough of this, says Scrounge. I'm calling the police to come for Farley and toss you titans out of my house. Mumbling mantas, says Aqualad. <laughs> Shouldn't we stop him? Hold the gang, says Robin, trying to like, get a hold of the situation. We've got no choice. He's right. How can we? Farley's a fugitive and we're trespassers. Hola, says <laughs> Wonder Girl. Uh, speaking of Farley, where is he? He went out that window, says, uh, you know, Tiny Tom. Come on, Titans, bug out, says Robin. As, uh, you know, they, they make their way to the door, you know, and we see them, you know, scrambling around the snow looking for him. He's gone, vanished, says Kid Flash. Howlin' Wolffish, <laughs> what a wacko <laughs> twist, says uh, Aqualad. Farley's story, Robin, do you, do you believe him or that nasty old scrounge? I don't know, says Robin, but this visit here tonight gives me a great idea. Haven't you characters begun to dig it yet? Ebenezer Scrounge, Jacob Farley, Tiny Tom here. Yow, says uh, Aqualad. I dig. Scrooge, Jacob Marley, <laughs> Tiny Tim. It's just like Dickens' Christmas Carol. Merciful Minerva, it is, says Wonder Girl. Well, I'll be. Like, oh yeah, like it's just dawning on them. <laughs> and we said it couldn't happen, says Robin. It's exactly what is happening, right now. Remember how the story went? Maybe we can take a page from Mr. Charles Dickens and get Scrounge to change his miserable ways. Listen. This is my plan. As they go into little whispers and, you know, we cut to the following day, which is the day before Christmas. And we see, you know, Bob Ratchet heading out to work. So long, Tommy boy. Time for me to go to work. That rotten scrounge making me work tomorrow, too, on Christmas Day. I, I hate that old tyrant. Oh, but Dad, you shouldn't hate Mr. Scrounge, says Tom. He's a pathetic old man, an unhappy old guy. I actually feel sorry for him. Really, I do. You're right, Tommy, says Bob. You're the greatest, nicest kid in the world. I'm lucky to be your dad. See you later, alligator. In a while, crocodile, says Tommy. It was a touching little scene. <laughs> uh, so soon, in the office of the Junko-Rama, you know, we see uh, Scrounge lording it over Cratchit. Or Ratchet, I keep saying that the real one. Faster, <laughs> it's hard not to. Yeah. Faster, Ratchet. You're dawdling, wasting time and money. But Mr. Scrounge, sir, my, my fingers are so cold I can hardly write. Uh, humbug, you're lazy, afraid of hard work. Uh, so many hard hours later, as uh, Christmas Eve arrives, you know, we see uh, Ratchet leaving. Uh, well, good night, sir, and Merry Christmas anyway. Ah, uh, humbug, Ratchet, go, and don't forget to be here tomorrow. You see Scrounge thinking, must get him out of here. Another delivery may arrive at any moment. Uh, so, a little bit later, we see Scrounge alone in his office. <laughs> gloomy in here. Farley's visit has shaken my nerves, uh, but the police will find him. And those teen titans snooping around? Uh, must get a grip on myself. Eh? What was that noise? He spins around. Ah, a phantom coming through the wall! Ebenezer Scrounge, says uh, apparently the specter. <laughs> I am the ghost of Christmas past. Uh, I'll escape and uh, oh, it's here before me. What do you want, spirit? To show you what you have become, Scrounge. Once you were young, handsome, popular. A beautiful girl loved you. That photo, he says, uh, Scrounge is the spirit, I guess, holds a photo in front of him. We see, really, sort of old-fashioned-y. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it must have been, like, you know, 1800s day at the fair or something. <laughs> uh, that photo, my, myself and Alice. She jilted me, married someone else. Please, don't. You're, you're breaking my heart. Have you got a heart, Scrounge, says the spirit. 
A man who hates Christmas can't have a heart, can he? Please, Mr. Spirit, don't harm me, says Scrooge, you know, falling to his knees. I'm just a poor old man trying to get along. Poor, says the spirit. You're loaded, Scrooge. Now I must go, but beware. Change your ways before it's too late. Ooh, the spirit's David Bowie from Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> so, let me see. A few minutes later, you know, I guess uh, Scrounge, you know, the, the life scared out of him goes running out of the place. It's gone, that spirit. A chance for me to escape, reach home in safety. Uh, but, as the proprietor of the Junkorama flees through his domain of scrap and debris, Ah, another spirit! As he comes face to face, you know, with a uh, very similar, like, cloaked figure, but sort of like in yellow, you know, pointing down at him. The ghost of Christmas present, says his spirit. I'm here to show you how your stinginess hurts others, Ebenezer Scrounge. Whoa, what do you point at, spirit? Why, it's Bob Ratchet, he says, you know, looking down the hill. Uh, but, but I sent him home. He can't go home yet, Scrounge, says the uh, spirit. You pay him so little, he must search for junk to fix his crippled son's wheelchair. Let me see, you know, cra- or ratchet, you know, rifling through the junk. He's found a little, like, you know, mm-hmm. shopping cart wheel or something. Uh, Tiny Tom asks, you know, Scrounge. It's not my fault a boy can't walk. I, I, It's your fault his father must work even on Christmas Day, says the spirit, and can't afford the new electric wheelchair so Tom can move around like other children. And what about your partner, Jacob Farley, taking the blame for you? You better change your ways, Scrounge, before it's too late. <laughs> I really like that line. Please, Mr. Spirit, says, you know, Scrounge, you know, imploring. I'm just a harmless old man. I, I never meant to harm anyone. Don't, don't harm me. Oh, he's gone. He's now to get out of here. Uh, but no, <laughs> he looks up to the sky and sees uh, a girl dressed in like in a, you know, a sexy Santa Claus outfit. I guess. <laughs> oh no, another one flying through the air. Ebenezer Scrounge, I am the ghost of Christmas future, here to show you your own miserable future. Now listen, as, uh, you know, we hear a bunch of spectral voices, you know, clamoring through the air. I hear old Scrounge died. Yeah, good riddance, the old skinflint. No one misses him. Lucky he died now, says a third voice. Police were closing in on him. He was mixed up in some crooked rackets. No, no, please, says Scrounge, you know, holding his ears. Just a minute, all of you. Mr. Scrounge wasn't bad. He was just unhappy. There's good in everyone. I felt sorry for him. And Scrounge thinks, that's Tiny Tom's voice, speaking up for poor old miserable me. Oh, that sweet lad. You know, as he's weeping. Uh, but just then, uh-oh, says the, uh, you know, I guess the ghost of Christmas future, mm-hmm. you know. The who, we don't know who it is. Right, yeah. Who could this be with, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh-oh, you know, says the, uh, you know, female spirit. Uh, the hoods are back in force. Time for Christmas future to take a powder. Huh? Says Scrounge, spinning around. It's Mr. Big. He's here himself. Hey, that chick in the air! Says <laughs> Mr. Big, pulling up. <laughs> Gun her down! <laughs> As uh, in the next instant, you know, they do just that. You know, all the uh, hoods, you know, jump out of that car. Pow, 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 pow! We winged her! Oh! Says, uh, uh, clearly now, uh, you were right. Look, we do know who that is. Oh, <laughs> right? what a surprise! <laughs> what a surprise! It's Wonder Girl. Oh! She says, falling down. Oh, oh, what's happening? Says Scrounge. It's one of those Teen Titans, boss! And look, here come the others. Clobber them, boys. As in, you know, in the back we see, you know, Robin, you know, uh, run it up. Uh, they were the spirits. I've been tricked, says Scrounge. Looks like things are really happening like crazy now, says our narration. And the Teen Titans Christmas happening continues wilder than New Year's on the second page following. As our uh, story ends on a, or chapter ends, I guess, you know, on a half page. As the bottom page, you know, is once again one of those DC house ads where you see, you know, little kids peeking into the editorial department, you know, there's frantic work going on. The day is coming closer, you know, don't destoy. It says, yeah, the day is coming closer where they're 
kind of fire everybody. <laughs> fire everybody and bring in new artists or whatever. It's uh, <laughs> the day is coming closer. Repent. You know, it's like... <laughs> imagine having to draw that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder who that is. That's a uh, a little bit like Sikowski, I guess, but like very sort of scratchy though. It's not like as refined, I think, as Sikowski. I don't know who did that. Um, so let's uh, turn our page and get into the TT's Swinging Christmas Carol, Chapter Three. Uh, Christmas Eve, this is our narration. Snow softly falling, festive lights twinkling, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yes, silent night, joyful time, and in the Junkarama of Ebenezer Scrounge, nothing is heard but the sounds of guns, fists, and grunts. <laughs> <laughs> the Titans, clobber them, say the thugs. Those ghosts, they, they weren't real, it was the Titans, says Mr. Scrounge. <laughs> Howlin' hogfish, says Aqualad, you know, pummeling some dude. As uh, apparently, you know, the, the junk pile, you know, towered high or whatever starts falling on them. Wonder Chick, she'll be buried, says Robin, you know, as he hits a dude of his own. Um, but as the towering junk pile cascades down, no sweat, guys, says Kid Flash running up. Just a little super speed juggling. What he, is he doing? He's grabbing all the trash or whatever and throwing it up into the air. Oh, it looks like a funky chicken. <laughs> um, but he throws it up and actually makes words. It says, Merry Christmas, made out of junk. How's that for a Christmas card? Nice. Groovy twinkle toes, says uh, Aqualad, you know, scooping up uh, Wonder Chick. Um, but who'll deliver it? King Kong? Oh, maybe it's big. <laughs> I'm not getting that from the art. Uh, but as Wonder Girl is pulled to safety by her teammates, uh, apparently the uh, the thugs, you know, flip on that, I guess, giant magnet thing they uh-huh. have at junkyards or whatever, you know, oh, and it just grabs her bracelets, yep. right? Bzzz, it says, you know, grabbing her, ha, 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 so they are thugs. Suffering sticklebacks. Sticklebacks. <laughs> I don't know all these fish. They're yanking Miss Ponytail out of our ever-loving hands. Her bracelets, they're being magnetized, says Robin, as indeed she goes, you know, all the way up to the magnet. Holy flat irons. She's being dropped under that car crash. I'm just wondering whether that's Aqualad. Is a flat iron a fish? I'm like, I'm so lost in this slime. No, no, now. no. Flat yeah. iron is, uh, that. that's Robin. That's like the flat iron building. Oh, like the flat iron building. Yeah, and you know what else? Also, holy flat irons. Yeah. Right, like the, uh, you know, Batman TV show. Holy flat irons, he says. She's being dropped into the car crusher. As an instant later, you know, we see the girl from Paradise Island lying between the fantastically powerful crushing blocks. Oh, where am I? Great Hera, she says as we hear the, uh, you know, compactor, you know, whirring into action. Another moment and I'll be a dead Amazon. As the blockbuster power of the car compactor hits the gorgeous Titaness, you know, we see her sort of like, you know, wedge herself in, you know, feet on one side, arms on the other. Merciful Minerva, give me strength. You know, sort of like Princess Leia, Star Wars mode, you know, Uh jamming up the uh, trash compactor. Uh, as we see, you know, Robin, you know, swinging in on the bat rope. Hang on, Wonder Chick! He says, you know, kicking the dude, apparently, you know, operating the, the compactor. Mm-hmm. It's not polite to crush a lady, buster! But dudes are fine. <laughs> yeah, right, he's like, <laughs> I'll crush you. As, uh, as Robin quickly switches off the uh, crusher's power. What are you doing, Mr. Big? Says uh, Scrounge in the background. That's my trap for catching trespassers. I'm activating it, Scrounge. Those titans are trespassers, ain't they? As the bizarre anti-burglar device goes into action... Mm, we hear the humming of the, the thing. What? Says Robin. Something yanking me off my bat rope. That crazy gizmo. Ha ha, says a thug. Let's see the boy wonder figure out a way out of that hangout. Oh, as he's drawn into the big trash pile, apparently mm. magnetically drawn by, I guess, what? Maybe his utility belt. Uh, you've gloated your last gloat, gloater. <laughs> Kid Flash, you know, zipping in. Uh, yikes, it's like I'm running on a treadmill of nowhere. Apparently the humming of that big magnet is like pulling him back. Although... 
maybe I, I'm trying to figure out what's metal on him. Maybe his like little wing ear type sure. things, whatever. That's the next instant. Ha ha! Another scratch, another Titan as you know, Flash is like drawn to the pile. Mister Scrounge, stop him! He's clobbering the Titans. But uh, I uh, who's saying that? Who's saying stop him? Oh oh, Tiny Tom, right? There's the we see the little oh. wheelchair. Uh, yeah, Mister Scrounge, stop him! He's clobbering the Titans. Oh, but I I uh, grab him. Oof! You know, as uh, Aqualad is like you know the last man standing, trying to like pummel these guys. I can't in this oil. He, he's he's not sliding. He must be half eel. Correct, chum. Yeah, chum. Another little <laughs> nautical thing. Half eel and all hammerhead. Uh, but suddenly, morning mackerel. What's got me? As apparently Aqualad is drawn by his little like aqua belt. You know, as the mm-hmm. you know big magnus drawn him in. Oh, that's a good layout. Oh, in the next bit, yeah, yeah, actually. So uh, I'm just going to pause here to, to to Melanie's point real quick. As we turn the page, we actually have a nice two-page spread which is not a two-page spread per se like nothing spans the two pages but clearly these two pages are designed as a unit uh, because each page is sort of divided into four triangles, triangles right but which reflect each other across the uh, you know across the spread an interesting thing go down all the way to the bottom see the pages are numbered you know 21 22 yeah you see the 21 how it's sort of inverted right yeah that is a a nick cardi uh, thing like that's oh, his little okay. signature every 21 he does like black with white lettering um so yeah so let's go down the triangles here on our first page we see as the junk tree claims another titan hola says wonder girl the boy's prisoner on that crazy thing i'll tear it apart with my oh it's got me too it says drawn her in apparently by her bracelets there they are scrounge beautiful christmas decorations ha 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 you think, says Tiny Tom, you know, rushing in on, on his, uh, you know, little uh, wheelchair. I'll make you free the Titans. Oh, says, uh, you know, Mr. Big getting hit. You little boys, fix this kid. My wheelchair, they say, you know, grabbing. Oh, that's mean, dude. Grabbing the kid out of his wheelchair. Yeah. One more piece of junk in this place won't matter, huh, boss? No, don't, says Scrounge, you know, like suddenly feeling remorse, I guess. Yeah, that's because it's pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. I can't let them do it, he says, you know, going toward the, the magnet and, you know, reversing it. Scrounge, you've released the Titans. Anyway to go, Mr. Scrounge, says Tiny Tom, you know, shaking his little fists. We're loose, team, says Robin. Hit him. You old skinflint, have you flipped your wig? Says Mr. Big, you know, pulling out a, a pistol from his coat. I'll turn on the tree and... Oh, no, you won't, says Scrounge, you know, grabbing like a... What is that? Like a car bumper or whatever and like trying oh, to defend yeah. himself. You're not turning on anything because I'm turning you off. And that's no humbug, Mr. Big. As he clunks him in the head, you know, Big's, you know, gun goes off. And like his little cigar you know, falls out <laughs> of his mouth. Uh, Robin, says uh, Wonder Girl. Tiny Tom, he's in that hood's clutches. Go, Robin, says Tiny Tom. Look at his feet. <laughs> Rock him and roll him, Wonder Girl. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he's, a, he's a hip little kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally hip. Um, but now, you know, as uh, as two Titans go into split-second double teaming, you know, we see, uh, you know, Kid Flash and, and Aqualad teaming up. First time I ever torpedo to torpedo, says Aqualad, kicking one dude in the back. Alley-oop, says, uh, you know, Flash tossing, uh, I guess, a Tiny Tom up into the air. Cool, he says. Finish the whole gang, says Robin, you know, as they've wrapped it up and, like, all the guys are on the trash pile. That's very cartoony in a sense, right? All the defeated villains all piled up oh, on trash. Yeah, it is. Know? <laughs> so, Scrounge, you went straight. Helped us. What happened? You happened, boy wonder, says the, uh, says Scrounge. Your visits as the three spirits made me see what I was really like. Made me see what a miserable old miser I'd become. And then, when Mr. Big's hood smashed Tiny Tom's wheelchair, I saw it red. I became a changed man. 
Tiny Tom, who, uh-huh. who defended a miserable skin flint like me. And I'm going to remain a changed man. Uh-huh. Your dad won't exactly. Right? <laughs> Your dad won't have to go to work tomorrow, Tommy. And he gets a nice big fat raise. And as for my old partner, Farley, I'll do my best to see that his sentence is changed. And so your dad won't have to spend his hard-earned money. I'll use Mr. Big's secret junk transformer to make your old wheelchair into a nice new electric model. The greatest, you know, says uh, Tiny Tom. Groovy, says one of the Titans. Ginchy, yeah. says Thomas's wife. <laughs> <laughs> As indeed we see, you know, a brand new golden wheelchair. I, I don't know that that would be too effective. <laughs> <laughs> Probably hot. Yeah, yeah. As uh, as we wrap up, you know, on our our final you know half page panel, as uh, now here's our Teen Titans Christmas card in fab four color Titan scope. Send it to a friend; he might be an Ebenezer Scrounge too. As we see, you know, everybody all you know lined up, you know, together. Uh, like my Christmas outfit, Twinkle Toes says Wonder Girl. Santa Scrounge replaced the one those hoods ripped. Gear WG. <laughs> uh. That's a that's a hip term, isn't it? Gear. Well, actually, gear. I've I've heard the Beatles say that all the time. But I was just going to point out the WG. I always so just before I continue on with this, like sometimes in print, superheroes refer to them each other at you know by their initials. Like I always see like GA and GL, you know, for Green Lantern and Green Arrow. But the WW thing, they do that a lot in JLA for Wonder Woman. It takes longer to say WW than it does to say Wonder Woman. Like, so why would you ever huh. do that? And WG is a weird thing. Like, you know, who, yeah. hey, WG, you know, like, anyway, <laughs> Kid Flash says, gear, WG. I'd hang my, I'd hang out my stocking, uh, but maybe he'd only fill it with junk. Gold-plated junk, young man, says Scrounge. And Bob Ratchet, I'm going to give you another present, a new heater in the office. Oh, thank you, sir. You're real warm-hearted. Ha ha, says Scrounge. Hey, Robino, says uh, Aqualad, how could anyone have as marv a Christmas as we are? <laughs> Let's let Tiny Tom answer that, says Robin. Check, Titans, says Tiny Tom. <laughs> Best wishes to all and a swinging and groovy new year. And bless us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and like that goes double from everyone at DC, says our narration. To all the Titans fans out there, stay with us, gang. 68 will be the most titanic year yet. Although one would imagine that, uh, you know, Donenfeld is a sort of like, you know, <laughs> Mr. Scrounge of D.C. as he's going to give, you know, Gardner Fox and a bunch of other guys a bunch of coal in their stocking this year. Well, he did say Titanic and that sank. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we wrap up our story and like I say, you know, we've sort of been going back and forth in our narrative. So here we're seeing, you know, some advertisements we've seen before, right? The teeny quiz. Mm-hmm. You've already taken. Have you ch- now that we've read Teen Beam and, yeah. and Teen Beat, have you changed any of your answers? No. <laughs> you know, you, you still know, have, have no problems communicating with the establishment? I don't. No, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do, this just did catch my eye, though. Get down to the real nitty-gritty with a psychedelic experience. Look how she spells nitty. Oh, Like yeah. with a K as though she's like knitting. Like that's, she has needles. Yeah, that's, that's not a very teen activity there, teeny. All right. And then, uh, let's see, on the uh, the final page we have a direct currents. Let me just do a quick pass here. Blah, 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 blah. Not, oh, oh, I was going to say nothing magic, but no, here's a, an ad for Dead Man. Can a ghost cry? We, we read that story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Legion of Superheroes, yeah, no, it's just the Deadman stuff. Um, but then the inside back cover actually is uh, nothing we're going to read. You know, this it has nothing to do with magic or whatever. But I just think, you know, um, for the time that we're reading, and especially the past couple episodes, you know, as we're shifting into the mod thing or whatever, um, just from a historical note, it's kind of neat to see. Um, a Lois you've never seen before, mod and mad. You know, as we see Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, all decked out in a little mini skirt or whatever, tearing down the girlfriend thing. Mm-hmm. And kind of a, this is, this is actually not full Neil Adams. This is a kind of a, a hybrid uh, Kurt Swan, Neil Adams type thing. Um, but this is going to be a real shift, you know, in the, uh, 
I would say not the whole Superman line, but definitely this title. Um, from this point onward, Lois Lane is going to get more like modern. Up to this point, she'd been very sort of 1950s informed. Demure. Yeah, little pillbox hats and all that. Um, but yeah, now she's going to get involved, you know, as a reporter should, in a lot of like social issues. You know, she'll explore like, oh, yeah. you know, like racism and like, you know, social injustice and all that. Yeah, so, that sounds way more appropriate yeah, given her, her career. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Um, so yeah, so that wraps up, um, you know, this story, um, this episode and, and, you know, this year, our, our first year of, uh, Parliament of Rooks, man. Yay. Yeah, give a High five. <laughs> High five. <laughs> um, first things first, let's, uh, you know, go into our judgment, uh, the TT's Swinging Christmas Carol. Like I say, not overly supernatural, nothing, you know, resembling no. a, a real ghost, but, you know, like I say, seasonally appropriate, you know, they, they, they were at least, you know, playing the three ghosts of, you know, Dickens' classic or whatever. Sure. So um, It counts. Know, it counts. <laughs> uh, so what do you think of the, um, you know, your intro, I suppose, to, you know, the, the swinging titans and, you know, and like, you know, their little adventures. The titans. The titans. There were some drawbacks. But I'd have to say that overall, I liked them. Yeah. Well, first, let's start first with the drawbacks. What did you dislike? Uh, okay, so like Kid Flash's uh, appearance, his costume, mm-hmm. I didn't like that at all. He, no, he really? Actually, he looks like a rooster. Huh. How so? With the hair sticking out? The the red and the yellow. Yeah. And uh, especially like that, that one scene where he was like... He was starting to do the vibration thing, uh-huh. and, and I made the funky chicken comment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, that's what it is. He looks like a rooster. Huh. Well, you know, I'm going to... I would personally like to disagree with you there. Like, you know, my own aesthetic, I've always thought that Kid Flash's costume was probably one of the better costumes of DC. I, I Like, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, absolutely, but I always thought that sort of like... You know, yellow's a difficult thing to, to pull off or whatever, but the, the sort of like, you know, torso up to head yellow with the, the sort of like cut on the winged top. Winged eye thing. What's that? His winged eye mask. No, no. Okay, I mean, that's the Flash's mask, right? It has the wings. But I'm saying the sort of like cut on the forehead where the, ha- the hair sticks out. Yeah. I was kind of dug it. Like, you know, honestly, I, I think that's one eh. of the better costumes. Okay, it, it, to each their own. All right, so that's thing number one you didn't like. You yeah, know? and I would say actually uh, that they didn't, in fact, pull that yellow off. Okay, it's your, your call. But yeah. um, uh, what else didn't you like about this story, though? Um, The lingo. It, but it wasn't overboard yeah, yeah. It, it was like a little overboard and like you know i'm, I'm sure i made uh, appropriate comments all the way through every time it annoyed me but... yeah well i'm sure you're not alone like yeah like I say, even in the day if you read through the letter columns or whatever a lot of the people are like dude who talks like this but haney swears up and down that the young people he knew talk like that so who knows maybe he hung with a very strange crowd <laughs> <You know? laughs> so okay well that's what you didn't like what did you like well actually there's one more thing that i didn't like oh really what else um, Wonder Girl was never referred to by her actual name. She was most frequently referred to as Wonder Chick. Wonder Chick. Um, you know, hey, are you saying because it's like sexist or whatever calling her chick? Totally. Like, I, I don't know. Like, honestly, like, I call girls chicks and, and like, I call you chick even or whatever, you know. Are you that's, a, that's still sexist. Okay. Well, I, I, I apologize then. I'll never call you no, chick. No, no, no. I mean, like, it's <laughs> between you and I, it's yeah. fine, but, um... It's. I, I think that what we're looking at here is more of a sign of the times. Yeah, well, no, because I was going to say more so than the sign of the times, though. I think it's at least the Titans themselves slang, because you'll notice, like you're saying, they didn't call her Wonder Girl. Well, guess what? They didn't also call Kid Flash Kid Flash. They call him Twinkle Toes. They didn't call Aqualad Aqualad. They call him Gilhead. I think, like, a thing that you will see with the Titans as they go forward is that they, you know, having started out as a team as young, like, young kids... 
as time goes on, they get a little older, you know, they become older teens, then they become young 20s, so on and so forth. And the thing I think that defines the Teen Titans is a sense of family. These are people that knew each other ever since they were like, you know, like basically 12 years old and they've grown to like, you know, consider each other like, you know, brothers and sisters. So I think that type thing or whatever is is not, you know, intended in any way to be like sexist or, you mm-hmm. know, insulting. It's just friends being friends. Yeah, and that that's that's actually a really good point because now that I'm I'm thinking about it, I'm probably just, you know, cuz cuz I am female, like I'm probably looking at the the female characters a little bit more critically you know just to say like well are you getting a fair shake you're getting a fair shake I think yeah. that, that, that's a good point okay all right so is that everything you didn't like <laughs> yeah okay so, so what did you like <laughs> uh okay so i was pleasantly surprised to find that bob haney storyline for the most part as lingo aside worked yeah. you know like it, it was engaging all the way through and um yeah i mean like there were a, f- a few things here and there but overall it was good yeah I will say, my own personal opinion, is that Haney is at his best in two avenues. Number one, with the Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, his Eclipso stuff and his, like, Ronan stuff and, like, his early Brave and the Bold stuff drives me crazy. It's so, like, you know, wackadoodle or whatever. The Teen Titans... I think maybe because they're children and they can be a little more, like, fun and zany or whatever, I think Haney works well with the Titans. Number two, I think... The latter half of Brave and the Bold, when a new editor comes in, like I say, this was George Cashtan, and I believe in the early Brave and the Bolds, you know, Cashtan was editing Haney there as well. Now, a big criticism, and we'll explore this more next year when we do maybe, you know, an, an artist bio on, on Cashtan himself, is uh, I think one of the criticisms of his editorial style is that he let, you know, writers have free reign to do whatever they want. Mm. So I'm going to say the latter half of Brave and the Bold, when Murray Boltonoff came in and started editing editing Bob Haney, those Brave and the Bold stories, to my opinion, really shine. So that's my, my second okay. like of, of Bob Haney. Um, so yeah, so that's from the writing perspective. Uh, art, you know, what were your thoughts on uh, on the story we read tonight? Good. Um, I, I like the the layout. I mean, it's uh, with Nick Carty. Nick Carty, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely got his own style. Um, but that one that that two page layout with all the triangles in mm-hmm. it, like yeah, it was like uh, draws you right in. Yeah, I say. Um... I say, you know, going forward that a lot of artists try to emulate that Neil Adams style with regard mm. to the layout. Like we certainly saw Mike yeah. Esposito doing it a little bit in um, uh, Brave and the Bold. But I don't think, you know, and you know, who knows, maybe, maybe, you know, there's some bleed back and forth. I don't think Nick Carty was directly influenced by Neil Adams. I think, you know, that experimental layout, you know, might have been just his own independent development. Mm. You know, like he, um, you know, has a very distinct, you know, unique style of his own. I think he was beginning to grow as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, what else did you like? I mean, well, let's see. The story was good. The art was good. Characters were pretty well developed. You could definitely see that. Uh, well, actually, uh, I think you kind of nailed it when you said the sense of family mm, okay. earlier. I mean, like it, it actually does come through. So I like that as well. And that's actually probably what made it engaging. Yeah. Okay. So let me put it up to you then. So there's a bunch of things you didn't like, a bunch of things you did like. How does the scale tip, you know, for Christmas time? Are you going to be are you going to be a, a scrounge or are you going to be, you know, a... It tips heavily in favor of leaving the bird alive. Oh, good, good, good. So that'll be, you know, a, a rook in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So that brings, you know, 2016 to a close. You know, um, thank you everybody who joined us over this past year. You know, uh, I, we, you know, hope you've enjoyed everything. You know, please... You know, as the year draws to a close, you know, provide us your your feedback. Let us know, you know, what you did like, what you didn't like. Uh, as we said at the forefront, uh, we are going to take, you know, a little bit of a break, you know, before we begin, you know, in this coming January. 
um, in the interim, you know, if you're suffering a, uh, you know, parliamentary withdrawal, um, you know, there is a, a little guest appearance I did on uh, a podcast that I mentioned here from time to time. Uh, actually, our inspiration, you know, for this podcast, the uh, the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, uh, the one that focuses, you know, on the Legion of Superheroes. You should, um, you know, if you want to hear me do a little guest spot, you can check out episode uh, 425 that they did um, about a week or so ago. Um, they basically covered the end of... Uh, uh, a magic-based storyline called the Magic mm-hmm. Wars. Um, so yeah, I did. I hopped over there and you know did a little review, and then kind of neat. They also did a little bit of a spotlight on magic in the DCU. So we each listed our like top five magic characters. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, go ahead and uh, and check that out. Um, anything else you'd like to you know add for you know year end you know greetings to, to folks out there? Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Yes, have a, a very merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. You know, Happy New Year. Um, let's see. We should probably wrap up with our, our contact info, right? Um, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to, you know, drop us a line, you can do so at our email address, which is tporpodcast at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Or, you know, if you want to leave a comment, you know, on this episode or, you know, any of the others that preceded it, you can do so at our website, which is tporpodcast.com. Dot com. You can... You know, follow us in a couple different venues. You know, um, Twitter is always nice. Um, that is... At TPOR Podcast. And then, here it goes. Big big finish for the end of the year. Uh, Facebook, you know, you can join our, our, uh, our page there. You can like us at... Facebook.com backslash... You got it. TPOR Podcast. Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> and so, and uh, what else? You can subscribe to us anywhere. You know, iTunes, Google Play, Podcastpedia, Stitcher Radio. And uh, and please leave us reviews because, you know, if you, uh, you know, uh, give us a little review on, on iTunes, it sort of like, you know, bumps us up in the, in the queue, you know, expands our profile and allows others to enjoy, you know, the... Uh, the bountiful harvest of, uh, you know, <laughs> magic and the supernatural that is Parliament of Rooks podcast. <laughs> uh, so with that in mind, you know, thank you as always for joining us. Uh, we hope you had a wonderful year and we hope to see you here next year on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. And God bless us, everyone. <laughs> everyone, it's Christmas. Everyone, it's song. London. Paris. And New York. Tokyo, Hong Kong. everybody. Scooter, what did I say about that kind of music? This is a Christmas pageant. Don't you know Jingle Bells? I don't know, Stanley. Isn't Jingle Bells a bit square? I mean, I think we need something with a bit more swing, you know? Something really good to get the kids up and get them dancing. No, no, no. Just stick with the Christmas songs. Speaking about that, where's the rest of the cast? We go on any minute. Where's the baby? You think he's talking about us, Starboy? No, I think he means that big doggy, Sugar. The one over there with the big purple feet. Stanley, I don't want to play the baby. There's all the sheep in the manger, and you can just see that they're ready to stampede. Ah, oh, stop being such a scaredy cat. They're just sheep. Besides, if anything goes wrong, you got Miss Tatana right there next to you, playing your mother. Lattes, Yelnets. Oh, no, Miss Tatana, please don't tell me you learned your lines backwards. Spoo. Stanley, Stanley, I want to talk to you about my part. I really don't think third shepherd is a befitting role for one such of my position. 
Ah, uh, come on, Warlock of Eve, you don't even have a real voice on the show. Now, where are those three? Three ghosts? Well, I am the ghost of Napoleon. Who better to play Christmas past than one who actually comes from the past, no? And I'm going to play the ghost of Christmas present. I'm pretty sure I saw one of those shepherds over there carrying a hook. And I will be the ghost of Christmas future, and I will send them all to their graves. No, 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 it's not that kind of Christmas play. I meant, where are the three wise men? Although I do possess the eldritch wisdom of Naboo, I do not believe playing this role is my fate. Ha ha ha! While they're all distracted with this pageant, I, Felix Faust, will cleverly replace all the gifts with coal. Because I'm evil. Ah, this whole place is crazy. It's like Bob Haney wrote the whole thing. Isn't there anyone here who knows what Christmas is all about? Certainly, Stanley Dover. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Who are you? The Parliament of Rooks will come to know me quite well in this coming year. But for now, I remain a stranger. Lights, please. And there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And that is what Christmas is all about, Stanley Dover. Uh, they'd like to thank you for a wonderful year. We'd like to thank you for a wonderful year. Thank you for a wonderful year. Christmas time is over, and your bonny clay is through. It'll be bristling to you, people. All the best from me to you. When the beastie brag go mutton to the heather and little hen, I'll be strutting out my tether to your arms once back again. 